I'm going to kill both you and Nick so I can become Violet's godmother and inherit all the money. And take it all. Take all my money. Do it. Lou's worth, like, I think a cool half mil. But he has he to dies. share it. He has a sibling. No, no, no. His life insurance policy. Ah, well, let's fucking kill him. That's what I'm saying. All right. Or we know, at least we're... up it till a million. <laughs> You know what I mean? Let's <laughs> get our money's worth so we can get that trailer park in Santa Cruz like we talked about. Golly. All right, of our housing miniature prices animals. in California, it's going to be a cool half mil. Mm-hmm, all our mini ants. You ready? Heck yeah. We've only been waiting an hour. <sighs> hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of THC, True Hollywood Crime. I'm your host, Mariah. This is your other host, Bailey. Bailey with the bruise on her face. <laughs> She's so happy to be here, you guys. I can't wait. <sighs> How's everyone doing? Thanks for giving us our snow day. Yes, I know. So we were supposed to drop this, record and drop this a week earlier, but it's it snowed. is a blizzard mm-hmm. in NorCal. Literally. Literally. It we, was, we were in a snow, like there was a warning on our phone the whole time we were out and about. Yeah, we drove about 15 minutes up the mountain from our house because we live like in a valley. So it doesn't really snow down here. But 15 minutes up the hill and you're in feet and feet of snow. So what? I've lived here. Let's ballpark 12 years. Mm-hmm. No. So the first time. Longer I've, than that. Sure. You've lived here since like the early 2000s almost be. Oh, six. Yeah. Yeah. Forever ago. Forever. Um. It's the first time I've ever been able to see snow from my work. Right. And I've always worked in this building. Like mm-hmm. I had this job before I was even guaranteed. You can't normally even just see a little sprinkling in the winter? No. Mm. No, it's the first time I've ever been able to look out my window from work and see snow. And it's snowing. I mean, obviously it's it's actually pretty deadly here in Northern California. Not necessarily for us, but there's some like mountain towns up here that are like they're getting buried yeah. literally nobody can get out and they have no power and whatever but um even like the bay area where we're from it's snowing there mm-hmm. like it snowed in the oakland hills my mom texted me she was so excited yeah and like all the foothills around like where my mom lives those i've had winters there before where those have gotten like a dusting yeah so i'm sure they did this time yep uh and then even like socal it's been snowing mm-hmm pretty crazy so we took advantage and we went with a couple other fams and nick and i got ballsy and we double tubed down you were sledding a steep slope and, and you took a little bit of a left which then took you off a tree which like right <laughs> acted like a ramp yeah so it's so funny in the moment i was so scared that i broke cc I thought that my face collided with her head. Because you guys were going down with two kids, your kid and our friend's kid, who are both small children. That I couldn't even be concerned with my own concussion. Yeah. (laughs) That I was so worried that I killed their child. Yeah, yeah. That when I found out it was my husband (laughs) that blacked me out. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Gave you a nice little... And that the kids were completely fine. Yeah. Yeah. Kids are fine. They were scared, but they were unscathed. Yeah. (laughs) Not a scratch on them. That's how it is to be a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I discovered quickly that because my youngest, Zoe, has been in the snow before, but the last time she was in deep snow like that where it was actively snowing, she was a toddler. And it did never once stopped. We were, it was sna- snailing. It was snowing constantly. Yeah. Like falling so she out doesn't of the sky. remember that. She's been to the, no- to the snow when it's just been like chill, 
you know, a nice amount to walk around in and build a snowman. When it's packed down and you're not falling in it yeah. and it's not falling on you, it's yeah. a totally different experience. But the snow we were in was deep. Wet. It was going up to like my upper thighs mm-hmm. when I would like walk in it. And we discovered Zoe does not like that kind of snow. No. She was not having it. But it's so funny because if you ask her right now, she'll tell you that she had some that she loves it. She's like, I love the snow. <laughs> She loves. She liked s- how pretty it was. She likes the snow when yeah. she was inside the car with the heater on right. and her snack, mm-hmm. looking at the snow. Yeah. And she's like, wow, the snow's great. I'm, I'm, she's not wrong. I know. I love the snow. I have so much fun. Um, and my oldest loves the snow. So the two of us had a great time. Yeah. You were so funny the whole time. Like, aren't you cold? And they're like, no. Yeah, because my kid wasn't even in snow gear. They yeah. were in like a sweatshirt and sweats. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, it's fine. The hair, so damp. Soaked. So damp. They were soaked. <laughs> they were fine. They were having the time of right, their lives. Let's build a snowman. It's like, go dry off. Put on a fucking vest. God I know. damn it. I know. No, they were totally fine. <laughs> it's so funny. But yeah, so we had a nice little snow day. I might try to take the kids up because it's supposed to snow again this weekend. But I thought it's maybe not going to stop raining like for a week. Mm-hmm. We'll have plenty of snow. Yeah. And I was thinking if we just go to like the next town up, mm-hmm. maybe my little SUV can make it up at least that far. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyways, what else has been going on? B? Dude, it's been forever. So we haven't. Yeah. And Super Bowl, ver- which is really just a Rihanna concert. I could not even tell you the teams that played. All I can tell you is that I hated the commercials. Chiefs versus Eagles. <laughs> Amazing. The only reason I know that's because it's the Kelsey brothers. I loved that. That yeah. was cute. And that's what I'm picturing is Jason Kelsey in an Eagles jersey. That's Perfect. the only thing I'm picturing. Good on you because I did. I really loved <laughs> the sibling rivalry. I loved the mom with her little half and half jersey. Right. Amazing. So that was cute. It was clearly a Rihanna concert. That's all anyone's ever talked she about. She killed it. Not only that. What a fucking entrepreneur. You're going to plug your clothing line. You're going to plug your cosmetics line. You're now, they're playing her old ass music on the radio again. Mm-hmm. Right? Everyone's all like, oh my God, listen to this song. Like, yeah, the songs we fucking danced to yeah. when we were in college. Yeah, we fucking know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So just genius on all parts. Oh, by the way, I'm pregnant again, guys. Ta-da. Yeah. And I love that she stayed herself like coming out to bitch better have my money like yeah "Yeah, that's rihanna babe and didn't need anyone there she could drake was there he could have come up she could have had anyone come up em could have come up she didn't need it i like that she went solo a lot of people always and this is an ongoing rihanna conversation because i'm you know me i'm number one rihanna stan i used to shave my head for years to look like rihanna the little half shave anything Uh, to look like her uh, I'm wearing her lipstick right now, as a matter of fact. Uh, the ongoing conversation is that she's not as good of a performer as like Beyonce or whoever else because she doesn't dance doesn't as matter. much as they do. What I will say, and anybody can challenge me on this, go back and watch Beyonce's halftime show. Really go back and watch almost anything of big of Beyonce's. And Beyonce is great and she kills it and she's a queen and I love her. She doesn't sing that much because she dances so much. You can't do both. Right. And so I would rather see my singer sing. Yeah. I'd rather hear her sing. Let the backup dancers dance. That's what they're there for. And sing. So I thought it was great. I know people were like, oh, she doesn't dance or whatever. She did fine. And I loved, I loved her whole aesthetic. Rihanna's thing isn't 
that traditional she's the number one pop star she's the number one sex symbol or whatever she's the number one cool girl she's 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 cool she's the og baddie yeah she's She's a bad bitch she's a cool girl and i thought it was a cool performance it was I Did you it. see the one backup dancer that was literally suspended in the air that almost fell? Yeah. <gasps> Forget it. I saw it on like replays. Yeah, TikTok. Did you see um, her boo, who I've also been a big fan of for a very long time, ASAP Rocky? Did you see him at the Super Bowl? No. Um, he, of course, was sidelines cheering him on, but yeah. he had um, a custom made leather, like football style jacket, and on the back was her. Super Bowl logo, which is her hand holding a football, and then Cute. it had like all the Super Bowl, whatever, whatever. Yeah. And he was like, like screaming and like holding up his phone, recording her and stuff. I'm, I like, love how much they're fans of each other. I love it. Yeah. That's I've very been cute. I've been team ASAP Rocky and Rihanna for a long time they're because great. they have a great song called Fashion Killer. That again, she could have had fucking ASAP Rocky up there. They have she a song together. Need it. Yeah. She it didn't need it. Although moment. that would have been epic it to have like the whole fan. Have, right. I know. Um, but yeah, they have a great song and video. And in that video, and that's way before they started dating. That's years ago. You're mm-hmm. like, whoa, there's something here. Mm-hmm. And then he famously grabbed her ass at a VMAs. I can't remember if they were performing together. I think he was presenting an award to her or something. And he went to go hug her. And he like grabbed, grabbed her ass, ass on stage. Yeah. I'm like, listen. And it was a juicy grab. He's going for it. Yeah. And he he waited the long game and look at him now. Winner, Mrs. Winner, he's he's Mr. Dinner. Rihanna. Love it. Um, but so like, I'm, hey, seriously, though, stay off her for a little bit, huh? Because at some point we okay. need an album. You can't just keep knocking her up <laughs> like that's this. That's not just ASAP. his fault. <laughs> oh, I loved all the memes. Right. Now we know why they call him ASAP. <laughs> That's right. And I he is so fine. Like I get it, Ree. I think babes, he's so cute. Yeah, no, the already. Okay. I loved all the MGK Megan Fox split drama because that was right around Super Bowl. People mm-hmm. thought it was a Super Bowl stunt and that What maybe, a weird stunt that would have been. Whatever. The fact that she unfollowed everyone but Eminem yeah. and Harry Styles and like one. Yeah. It was so petty. Obviously people he has a problem with. I, I don't know what his problem with Harry Styles could be. I don't but care. I was so here for them. I love it. I, I love the pettiness. so here for the pettiness. It was everything. Also, I... you know what a spooky bitch she is. Like, yeah, are she's going to the hex you. You want to play with her? She's literally going to fucking suck your blood and hex you. So don't everyone always makes her. the joke that because um, if you guys don't know this, MGK started as a rapper. Um, it's shocking right <laughs> uh, he's a much better rapper than he is a pop punk guy yeah and i actually liked his early stuff yeah, like before sure. he was known yeah i like his early rap music yeah um but then he had this beef with eminem which again his beef with eminem the song that he put out was really good like you had people saying that he won that exchange which is crazy for mm-hmm. somebody against eminem yeah, of course but most people are like he went up against Eminem and it forced him to like switch genres like pop punk. And now he has this shit with Megan Fox and they're like, now he's going to start singing country music. He's going to have to like switch genres and <gasps> oh do country. My God, I love that. It's so funny. Okay. Um, you and I were talking about this in the kitchen, how the world's ending as we took shots of, of tequila. Always. But it's also something that I saw on TikTok. Like everyone's joking how with our generation, because of everything we've gone through, it's like, oh, spy balloon. No big deal. Whatever. Aliens. Who cares? Uh, zombie fungus yeah, ants. Of course. Like, right? Yeah. But none of this is going to shock us. Like, until I can actually fucking shake hands with an alien or something. Like, wh- who cares? 
Like me and my of, oldest saw a UFO the other night. Love this. See, weeks like, ago, it nothing matters anymore. Like all of our world is shattered. Listen, the Matrix is here. At the end of the day, I don't know if this is comforting for you guys or not. And you're talking to somebody who is scared of death because I don't know what happens. That's I'm a control freak. We bond over the most. That is yeah. literally our biggest fear. However, there is a comfort to the fact that none of this matters. Yeah. Because everybody's going to die. Up. Yeah. None and of it matters. Like, no. It literally, whatever you're worried about, doesn't fucking matter. Who cares? You're going to die one day. Who yeah. cares? Is that, too, is that too dark for this? What matters to you in this moment is so much more important to you than it is to anybody else. And what you're doing right now is uh, not even a nanosecond of a blip on the like timeline of Earth Guaranteed outside of this household right now. Like no one gives a fuck about us right now. Like my parents guarantee you they're not sitting on the couch right now thinking like, oh, I wonder what Bailey's doing. <laughs> I was just talking to my client about this today about um, perspective and the idea of like everything matters the most to you because you're the main character in all of your stories. Yeah. But you're a sideline character to everybody, everybody else's, else's stories. For sure. So the interactions that you make up in your head, the are so much bigger. You make it a bigger deal than what it is mm-hmm. because you are a bigger deal mm-hmm. than you are to pretty much anybody else. Look, and that's fine. That's just humanity. Right. But just don't stress once, about it. Once you can wrap your brain around it. And it, just remember, other people's opinions of you are none of your business. So just, who cares? That's another thing I have to remind myself in raising a child is she's been alive for all of six years. So what's a really big deal to her is a really fucking big deal to her in her six years of knowledge. In her very small bubble. Right. Whereas me, an ancient dinosaur, yeah, it's like that's a sliver, yeah, in the comparison of my existence. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. And also the fact that like her brain's not fully formed yet, so right? Dumb, God. And yeah, there's a lot <laughs> so that goes stupid. into it. Uh, uh, so again, thanks to you, my latest obsession is clearly Pedro Pascal. I'm so late in the game. Come on, daddy. You know what's crazy is how much stuff he's been in. I didn't realize it was the same person. So that's why I was going to ask you, like, I never watched Narcos. Me neither, but I might now. Right? And like, I think I've seen the movie The Bubble, and like, I know I want to see that Nicolas Cage movie now. Because Are you going to say what else he's in? Buffy. Ah! I know. An episode of Buffy. I died. But So I was going to say he's Literally nothing but my TikTok at this point. Yeah. Right. And so to see that Sarah Michelle Geller and like her caption was so cute, like how father met mother or something. <laughs> I was like, oh, daddy, please. Yeah. Love it. And I really like how um he always plays what seems like these kind of tough, stoic guys. And, and in he's real life, such a goofball. he's a fucking goofball. He's golden retriever. And not only that, I love his BDE because like he's never been married. Yeah. The wide range of women he's been with i didn't even see that i gotta he's, look it up no he's been with like sarah paulson who's now with a fucking 90 year old woman <laughs> so he's so old right no he's been like with a unique range of women but like nothing serious ever nice because i feel like that's just his vibe and i love him that's so great Speaking of Golden Retriever, real quick. Yeah. If you guys saw it on our Instagram, I posted that picture of us in the snow. Yeah. 
And if you really look at it, it just I thought it was so funny because it's so our friendship. You are such like the golden retriever energy to like my black cat. Yeah. And you can tell in that picture because you're like in colors and browns and smiling and whatever. And I'm in black from head to toe. My hair color to my glasses, to my jacket, to my pants. Right. Well, it's funny because that day I was actually joking with Nick how unicorn was my camo. Yeah. Because I was head to toe rainbow diarrhea like yeah. unicorn blood just covered in... and i was head to toe black uh-huh but i was like you can't lose me in the snow that's right <laughs> so yeah i just thought it was so funny looking at them like oh yeah it's like the golden retriever and black cat friendship energy i like it uh well you want to talk more about friendship energy the whole reason for this podcast is our friendship of horror movies and whatnot and scream wednesday 3-1 sonoma police department received mm-hmm. multiple calls from individuals reporting a person notes. dressed as ghost face and it's so fucking funny like duh you guys do you not realize that you're literally the county yeah where a fucking movie was born i know i wish they would have done it in healdsburg yeah that would have been even better. Yeah. I don't know I'm, why they didn't do it in Healdsburg. It doesn't matter. You get what you get. But it's like, duh, you guys. Yep. Okay. It was so great. And they did it as a promotion for the movie. Yeah. It wasn't just some rando. They no. were doing it on purpose. Which That's what cops finally figured out. We've mm-hmm. talked about this before where I really like that gorilla promotion, like with the smile movie. Yep. I like this like boots on the ground mm-hmm. movie promotion. I mm-hmm. think it's really fun. Got my attention. Amen. Me too. Okay. Another new horror movie that's out. I guess it came out in February. It's called The Outwaters. Have you seen anything about this? I'm intrigued because I like the storyline. Basically, a group of like young adults are driving into the desert. They want to film a music video. Okay. And obviously, everything's going to go wrong. Mm-hmm. shit's gonna get weird kind of druggy like visiony mm-hmm. and then like the hills have eyes kind of vibe but whatever people who have seen it I think what caught my attention the most is people say that they've needed to watch it multiple times oh because they're so distracted the first time by they every stuff by everything that they're trying to absorb mm-hmm. and like whatever they're not fully processing mm-hmm. that it leaves them coming back like I need more I, need- I love that that's what really got me. It's yeah. not people being like, oh, my God, it was so scary. Or yeah, because are- you and I don't think anything's scary. No, it was the fact that people, multiple reviews said, this is my second time watching it. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad I watched it again. Yeah, so. I love that. Or I love it when a movie has such a big twist at the end that then you have to re-watch it with that yeah. point of view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, we've talked about how the new screams coming out we need to plan a date that's next friday it comes out i believe that sure but we also toyed around with wanting to see cocaine bear yes because it's and also doing a sewed about it right but i'm like there's another bear movie that i also want to see do you know what i'm talking no. about winnie the pooh blood and honey no why you don't know about that of course i don't know oh about God. it okay I'm gonna leave why you. would i know about this i'm gonna pass this to you after so you could see the picture it was released the day after valentine's day yeah it sees Pooh and his bestie piglet 
embark on a murder spree terrorizing a group of young adults including sir christopher robin oh sir christopher robin he made it to knighthood i just had to add that because it's so (laughs) he's a knight now that's perfect no christopher robin who's returning to hundred acre woods five years after leaving for college oh yes tell me very toy story you don't want to see it um, the director said he got huge backlash for turning a lovable childhood character into a bloodthirsty killer. Eh, whatever. Receiving death threats and having police called to. Can itself. I tell you how I would have written that movie? Yeah. I would have written that movie as Christopher Robin tries to explain his friends, his hundred acre wood friends to his parents and ends up going through deep psychoanalysis yeah and gets labeled as like a schizophrenic or whatever that's cool and then he's like locked up he gets out he gets treatment he start he he's out in the world and he comes back to the hundred acre wood only to discover that he's not a psychopath and that those motherfuckers are real or that it was him the whole time maybe or but i was thinking more that like Pooh and everybody are now mad Mm -hmm. because he abandoned them yeah and they're on a murderous rampage. So here's my thing. I can't tell if it's a person dressed as a bear <laughs> or if it's supposed to be. Uh, it's a weird take on Winnie the Pooh, yeah? Is it weird CGI or is yeah. it a terrible costume? I can't tell. I guess we're going to have to watch <laughs> it and find out. So that's what I'm saying. We can have a scream and double <laughs> freaky bear. Oh. movie marathon there's just so much for us to take in i've been i have watched a terrible show that you would absolutely love called what i was gonna say good give me a review because i also have some reviews perfect match (gasps) oh it's been all over my tiktok Mm -hmm. and i i haven't watched it so there are other netflix reality stars from like the circle love is blind all those the things. only reason i start so it's a terrible show it's awful half of it's scripted because like i know francesca and, and chloe yeah. and harry jowsey and so the reason i even was interested in watching this this is going back a ways i started following this random dude on tiktok mm-hmm. because he is fine mm-hmm. but he also has a feminine edge to him which i kind of like that androgyny yeah like he's he's super fine and he's got tattoos and stuff but then he also will like paint his nails or he'll put on a little lipstick he's a big swifty so a lot of his tiktoks were him like like lip syncing taylor swift songs and i'm like this guy is so cute i love him i followed him his name's dom i think on i've heard about tiktok it's don't don't call Dom or something like that. I've heard about but him. That's why I started following him because yeah. I'm like a Swifty yeah. who's fine and paints his he's nails. Big in the drama, from what I could tell so, on TikTok. He then got signed up to do a reality show on Netflix called The Mole, and cool. I watched that one. And that one's fun. I'll spoiler alert right out the gate. Dom does not make it to the end. Kay. He's out like halfway through the season. Okay, but I think he becomes such a fan favorite. <laughs> They invited him to be on the perfect match. Right. And so then I'm like, well, I got to watch the perfect match. Like I follow him on TikTok. I watched him on the mole. Yeah. I'll watch him on perfect match. It's a shitty show. It's a shitty Nick Lachey show. So it's entertaining as fuck. It's perfect when you're drinking wine. For sure. And just need mindless entertainment. Yeah. The drama is ridiculous. Yeah. The, the scene, the scenarios are all set up, but it's fun. Yeah. 
And it's fun to see because there are certain throwbacks. If you've watched a couple of these shows where you're like, oh, and I don't want to give anything away because it's a it'll be spoiler alerts. But there's a few people that come in that you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. Because you know their past history on these other shows. And that's another thing. So also I heard from like, because now because it's out, people are saying behind the scenes, like when they signed up for it, like they didn't know that the boys and girls were going to end up bunking together. And so some of them were in previous relationships, but agreed. That's to what do. Francesca says. But Francesca's also a liar, liar, pants on fire. OK, so that's just her. Like the other people are saying otherwise, because I'm only- I've, I don't know if they're saying otherwise. I've only seen Francesca say that. OK, I haven't seen anybody else say here or there. Got it. She's the only one that's done a podcast and said that and made an issue of it. OK, but she's also a big fat liar for sure. So she's the know. biggest drama horror of them all. Yeah. Because remember, but it, makes when good for, she... it, but it makes for good TV because if you didn't have people like Francesca, it'd be boring as fuck. Right. We were watching. Wasn't it Love is Blind when mm-hmm. she showed up with Homeboy mm-hmm. to like the reunion? And we're like, yep. oh, girl, yep. that was so scandalous. And there's a big plot twist. Can't wait. Okay. With Francesca in the perfect match. Incredible. So, you know, you if you got it? some time to kill. You have any other reviews? You're still reading your fan fiction? <laughs> I'm almost done with my fan fiction. Um, no, I don't have any other reviews. Okay. That's all I've been doing is watching Perfect Match. Well, so our last episode was our Valentine's Day episode. Yes. You got me our Valentine's Day present with yeah. the horror trivia. Mm-hmm. What was one of the answers? Uh, I mean, give like, me a clue. The, Sir Sam Neill. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So you watched, I watched Black Hole or I whatever? I watched Event Horizon. Yeah, there it is. Event yes, Horizon. I watched with Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. No, Lawrence Fishburne. With Lawrence Fishburne yes. and Sam Neill. Yes. Sir Sam, right? Yes. Sam Correct. Neill. So right off the bat, it's no alien. I mean, what is though? Right. It's no Jason X. <laughs> I mean, can any movie top Jason X? Jason goes to space. But like visually, I was impressed. Okay. For as old as it is. Is it so, from the 90s? I feel like it was older than that. Oh, okay. Um, But basically, Event Horizon is a ship that got sucked into a black hole. You mean like Star Trek Voyager? And then reappears seven years later. But in the same galaxy? Like it disappears and then comes back to where we can see it again. Yeah. So it comes back to the same location. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So when it comes back, Sam and Lawrence are on the team that go to figure out what the fuck happened. Like, mm-hmm. where did it go? What's it been through? What happened to the team? All that. Right. And so when they get on the ship, you very clearly find out, like, it's almost like the ship's alive, right? And so oh. people start seeing things, and, like, their visions are very personal. So, like, people start to go kind of crazy. Okay. So, like, the team starts to, like, turn on one another. And so take it from there without ruining the movie. That's basically what you're going Like, lots of clips of, like, jump scares and visions. and Was it good? It was. I enjoyed it. All right. Again, it's not my favorite. I wouldn't be like best horror movie of all time. It's to me, I'm like it's a sci-fi, a sci-fi, whatever. Yeah, like a sci-fi thriller. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting. It's very classic as a Lauren Fishburne character. Okay. But wasn't 
what I would traditionally see for a Sam Neill. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like at first, it's like obviously. And does he have what accent does he have? He's very Doctor Alan. He's a space. He's nerd. American. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. He's an Alan Grant in space. Because when I tell you I didn't know he was like Scottish until he showed up on Peaky Blinders. Yeah. I mean that. I had no fucking yeah, 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 clue. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Fantastic. Um. And then have you started you yet? Because we talked about no, that. I have not. We tried. I have to be in the right mind frame. So good. I'm glad that you said that. I don't think that it's on you. I think that it's on me. Yeah. Because I've tried multiple times now with Nick and I keep falling asleep. And mm-hmm. it's not to say that it's not good because it's in London. Love that. It's got like a clue vibe. Oh. Like, yeah. It's, Interesting. It's very different. So they changed it a bit. It's very different. They kind of need to because there's only so many times he you can do the same setup over and so over again. So that's what I'm saying. It's not to say that they're not doing it well. I just don't think I'm in the right headspace for it because every time I've tried to get into it i'm just i fall asleep yeah that's why i liked season three so much as i like that it changed the narrative Mm -hmm. i i love love's character Mm -hmm. and i love how much of a monkey wrench she throws into joe's character in his bubble and i love that yeah so yeah i'm gonna do it one Mm day Mm mm-hmm but, but I just I'm glad that that's the immediately what you said. I think you do. You have to be in the headspace. And I almost have to with shows like that. I do better if I'm watching them like on my phone or on a tablet with headphones. in. OK, because then I can focus. Yeah. And it's right there and it's in my ears. Yeah. Versus if it's on the TV and I'm hearing everything else around me and I'm like, oh, I could also fold laundry or I could do this, that. It's not that type of show. Yeah. I have to like be in it. So, yeah. Perfect. And The Last of Us has been great, so I think. Good. I think it's been so good. Yeah. I like it a lot. So, people keep trying to compare it to Walking Dead. And obviously. I think that's unfair. I agree. It's an, e- an easy comparison to make. But it's. But you could say that about any apocalypse right. movie then. I like that in every episode. Like, it's my new cry show. Like, they're getting to it. Like, they are just getting rid of main characters. Kind of Game of Thronesy. Yeah, a little right? bit. Right, where you get Even invest- the beginning. The beginning, they just straight copy-pasted Game of Thrones and just put fungus instead of blood. But that's what I'm saying. Like, I get invested in someone and immediately it's like, oh, well, we're, we're moving on. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. in that take, I do think it's different. And I really like what they're doing. And I'm, I'm into it, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love the... I love the acting. I think yeah. the acting is so good. It's really the good. The characters. Yeah. It's it's hitting it for me. Um, Because we took last weekend off, Nick and I took the opportunity to watch Barbarian 2022. Never heard of it. I have heard of it. I've been recommended the movie a few times, and that's why Nick had it. We had just been kind of, like, waiting for an opportunity to watch it. So we're like, why not? Okay. Bill Skarsgård. Hey! And Justin Long. Okay. So immediately, high hopes. I'm into it. But because everyone's so dumb, Mm -hmm. I checked out really quick. Okay. I was just immediately waiting for them all to die. Yeah. Y'all just kill them all. Right. They're not worth it. 
Nick gave it a little bit more credit because he was like, well, you know, this and that or whatever. But I'm like, that's fine. I couldn't wait for it to be over just because I was so mad (laughs) at how dumb everybody is. Yeah, that's fair. So afterwards, after watching the movie, we just we talked about it and we're like, the movie itself wasn't bad, was made well an interesting kind of a story or whatever like they did a really good job of building the suspense Mm -hmm. but because I knew what the suspense was going to lead to and because I was just so checked out yeah why not make the lead character do the right thing but still have it not work out I don't know so for instance so this chick she shows up to an Airbnb. Mm-hmm. She's alone. It's the middle of the night. She can't tell how bad the neighborhood is. She's literally in like the worst of the worst. Okay. And so she goes to And the... she didn't look that up when she booked the Airbnb? No. There's a convention in town and she's there for a job interview. And, and it's was... just like the last place available. And she's in, coming out of a bad relationship. So she's looking for an escape no matter what. She just needs to get out. Okay. Right. Because she keeps ignoring a phone call. She goes to the lockbox where the key's supposed to be. The key the code that she's given is fine. There's no key inside. Mm-hmm. So she's back in her car and she's trying to call the place. And a light turns on. In the Airbnb, mm. somebody else is already staying there. Yeah. It's Skarsgård. Mm. And he's like, oh, yeah, I booked it. Like, shows her on his phone. Like, here's my confirmation. Like, I'll sleep in my car. They double booked. So he's like, stay. No. I'll sleep on the couch. Nah, I'm good. That's what I'm like. We're off nope. the bat. Nope. Immediately, we're checked out. I'll literally find a truck stop and sleep in my car. But because he's like, well, the neighborhood's really bad like exactly like you just leave like right like i'll just drive through it no one's gonna stop me um and many bad neighborhoods i've driven through in the bay area to make it worse fine then she finds this fucking basement that has a hidden door that leads to a dirt tunnel where she finds a room why are you going down there a cot and a video cam recorder. I'm with you. Killer. <laughs> Fucking killer. Just she wants to die. Then, Clearly she wants to die. After that, there's fucking tunnels. No. What, <laughs> what movie is this? Barbarian. So stupid. So that's just it. Like, so we're here we are. Imagine <laughs> I'm us. I'm so annoyed. I, thank you. I'm so annoyed. But so let's say, even if we get past the, okay, we believe the cute boy. It's a scars guard. Mm. Fine. Whatever. We stay. I mean, you probably would. Because I'm feeding the pigeons. Yeah. We, we go down to the like, basement. Maybe we'll hook up. We'll we, see. We go down to the basement. We find the secret door. Yeah. Right? Let's pause at that point and say, ooh, that's a horrible idea. Yeah, yeah. And try to leave. And let's say you can't. Like, even then, it's scary. Like, give us fucking something. Yeah. But no, we're already immediate. You're checked out of me just talking about it. I'm <laughs> so annoyed. They're so fucking dumb. I'm so annoyed. So, yeah. That was frustrating. And that's what horror movies are today. <laughs> <laughs> that's my rant. I'm sure we're in for a doozy with, sc- what are we on, Scream 6? Oh, it's going to be awful. But we know that going into it. That's fine. I don't The have- last one was so bad. I know. I, I have zero expectations. 
they're trying to say like, oh, it's a new take on him because he has a gun. Who fucking cares? A gun? Uh, yeah. Right. Well, let's just give him a new mask too. Uh, let's just be a whole new. Who cares then? Right. It's I, a knife. We're in New York and he has a gun. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it so much. And we're still going to pay to go see it. Yeah. I know. I fucking hate it. I know. You want to know why I hate it so much more than anything else we talk about when it comes to terrible horror movies and sequels? Because we're so invested. Because Scream is my favorite horror so movie. Because we're so invested. And to me, the perfect, the first one is a perfect movie. And when it's I classic. say it's my favorite horror movie, I mean it's in like maybe my top five favorite movies mm-hmm. of all time. Mm-hmm. I think that movie is perfect from start to end it's so good. i think it's so well written it's so cool the it fact stands of, the test of time you the say actors that, the, the test of time literally it's within the last year you have pointed out something to me like the fact that the jersey that tatum's wearing is the same jersey that johnny depp wore yeah. in fucking friday or no in nightmare, nightmare on elm street that blew my mind we're ancient dinosaurs and you're mm-hmm. still hitting me with shit that's like <gasps> yeah these the soundtrack gems. is classic you have the soundtrack on your on your it. shelf right now i do it's the perfect horror movie for yeah. me it's the 90s which i it's, i'm a 90s, 90s stan we're 90s babies i love that movie yeah. so for me the fact that every fucking sequel has sucked since the first one and i understand that the first like two, three weren't as bad as what we're getting into now. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yep. It's just every single time it fucking breaks my heart. Yeah. And I'll still go see him. I know. But at least now we've got Wednesday, Jenna Ortega. She'll be in it? She was in the last one. Oh, she was? Yeah. I've blocked the last one out I of my know. fucking memory. I know. The train. Oh, choo choo. I don't know if you guys can hear it because we are actually at. Um, Bailey's house tonight in your room we're never here but the train is going by and we can hear it so let's take a train shot yeah we have to go make a new drink we're going to take a train shot and even though we're not in the pod shed I could throw something at the pod shed so that's kind of kind of fun all right let's press pause pause. and regroup and we're back we're back baby we had time to watch a whole ufc we had time to watch the entire uh main fight of the ufc which was john jones versus some french man okay and And john jones choked him out in like 30 seconds so that's the whole reason why we're here tonight at Uh, b's house uh uh-huh is the husbands again like last episode god wiling out in the living room although my not as bad this time because they're in charge of the kids this time for the most part so my husband is semi-sober versus last episode which was was a good time not he was white girl (laughs) wasted so he's actually responsible tonight which is lovely and it doesn't hurt when the fight lasts like you said all of 30 seconds pack this up let's go home right we got a kick to the nuts within the first five seconds leave it to the fucking french and then we got a choke out immediately so spoiler alerts (laughs) spoiler because all of our listeners are huge ufc Mm -hmm. fans all right listen as b sparks up her j yeah our rules our THC rules. When you are listening at home, anytime we are. In, oh, I guess we changed that rule, but we'll put it back in tonight. Not, not in the pod. Not in our bedroom. No. Not in a, in a different location. There we go. Because we're in a bedroom. Mention a badass big sister. Mention a past THC episode. Spill something. 
hear the train or mention monk take a drink take a puff do, do what whatever you do. do whatever you want flick your bean <laughs> yeah listen by the way b's got a whole lot of fuck it in her tonight so we're gonna see how this goes we've had two shots of tequila we've had I... two shots of tequila and b has had a good few days so she's ready to <laughs> tell us all to fuck off we didn't even start with wine we started with tickety talkities uh-huh. did we get a review from our listener no, not yet. I wonder if they blacked out. Maybe. And <laughs> they don't remember. But we have been talking about, we won't give any spoilers, but um, we have got some plans for our anniversary episode in six months. Good luck, you guys. <laughs> Good luck to us, you mean? This is episode 87. <laughs> okay. And we are doing the Moore's Murders. Um, and B watched, is it called the Moore's Murders? No. Oh, okay. See No Evil, The Moore's Murders, 2006. But don't get that confused Mm. with See No Evil, 2006. American movie. (laughs) The slasher movie. Yeah. Where you have like a prison experiment gone wrong. Did you watch it? I did. (laughs) (laughs) How many knives do you give it? Two. Oh, so it's a good one. Uh, yeah, but uh, they take over an abandoned hotel mm-hmm. and like put ex-prison people in it and kind of leave them kind of like a halfway house to see how they'll do. Okay. And then this see no evil guy comes along and starts taking them out. So, you know, there's that. Fantastic. <sighs> um... All right, are you ready? I have like fourteen pages. Of I know you gotta, so you gotta go. Nervous. We got Hold on. this. I'm excited. I'm sitting in a like a lazy boy kind of, and there's you a can cup holder. recline. I know, but I have to be able yeah. to reach the computer. Yeah. Okay, are you ready, Bailey? I am as ready as I so can. So I be. got everything from. I did <laughs> not listen to all three parts, but there are three parts to a podcast called Case File. Each part's like an hour and a half. And that's funny because you're... So mine isn't technically a movie. Remember, it's three a series. episodes. Yeah. So you have a three part and I have a three episode. Fun. But I did not listen to all three parts. Good for you. Um, but Case File, they did a great job. I watched a 1999 documentary from the BBC. <gasps> Mine's got to be BBC. It is. Yeah. Called The Moore's Murders. Um, that was a great documentary. Um, they interviewed a lot of... The family whose families who are still alive, including the parents of the victims. So that was they're still alive interesting. now. Yeah, because yeah. 1999, it's only oh. like 30 years later. Uh, to me, I feel like that's a million years ago. Just it was. I consider myself a dinosaur. So I can't yeah. tell you that they're still alive now. Yeah, that's what I But they were alive in then. 1999. Yeah, then. I meant now. Yeah. I don't know who's alive anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, Wikipedia, because, you know, you got to do it. Strap yourself in, B. It's kind of a crazy one. I might have a strap on in the drawer next. <laughs> Perfect. 30th birthday party. I was going to say, why in the world would you need a strap on? As what a, is Nick into? No, we got it as a gift for my dirty 30. And I wore it on my head. Yeah. Remember, yeah. And you also had one for your bachelorette party. 
I had nipple. No, you had a strap. Well, no, you had a dildo that you put in your fanny pack. Yeah. So it looked like a strap. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had nipple pasties and then the, the fanny pack. Yeah, you was- stuck a dildo in your fanny pack. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, the strap on. I know, the legit strap Yeah, you on. wore like a unicorn. Mm-hmm. And then you drank a whole thing of lube. Which was Daniel's fault. He put it in my mouth and it was my fault for swallowing. Because, you know, facts. What a great thing to lead us into a case about murdered <laughs> children, huh? <laughs> also, our listeners are like, what? <laughs> yeah, there's a whole side to me and B that y'all don't even know about. <laughs> Welcome to Tequila Shots, y'all. Uh, let's do this. Myra Hindley was born... In July 1942 in Manchester, England. She has a fairly normal childhood for working class 1940s England. Meaning her dad pretty much ignored her and beat the shit out of her mom. Right. Sounds about right. But very working class. They basically grew up in like a slum. Mm -hmm. Which if you think of a slum nowadays, you're thinking of like slum dog millionaire. It was like council housing, like in America, it'd be the projects. Okay. They use the word slum, which sounds way worse, Mm -hmm. but it's basically the projects of England in the 40s. So not a treat. Okay. So in comparison to our conjuring episode where you were kind of talking about. Because that's also council housing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So these are apartments. Okay. So this is a little bit lower scale. These are lower class Mm -hmm. and because it's way back in the 1940s like yeah, a lot yeah. of them don't even have like indoor bathrooms mm-hmm. they're still using like outhouses and okay. stuff um on a side note if you guys would like a representation of at least the slums of like this type of housing in Ireland in the 1980s one of my favorite books of all time from one of my favorite authors of all time which is Tana French she has a book called The Faithful Place. It's part of her Dublin Murder Squad series. And it is a fantastic book. And it really gives you an insight into this type of housing in the 70s and 80s. And then in the you're going back and forth between then and like the 2000s, which at the time was like modern day. Right. Okay. But it's fantastic. If you want a good description of it, I would read The Faithful Place by Tana French. The point is, is you have generational families being raised here. Everybody knows everybody. Everyone's in everyone's business. Mm -hmm. It's the way it goes. Yeah. At 15 years old, she dedicates herself to Catholicism, which is another ongoing theme in these places. Mm -hmm. They're very heavily religious, very heavily Catholic. Mm -hmm. And she's an all around just regular good girl from around the way until... 1961 when at 18 years old she starts a job at like a local store let's really think about this so you're 18 Mm -hmm. at the peak of the 60s -hmm. but you're in england so you're behind america i forget that i forget that okay because england's 20 years behind us so while we are experiencing the hippie culture awakening Mm -hmm. they're not there still they're still kind of rebuilding from world war ii okay because think about the fact that like their whole country got bombed out in world war ii look at this fucking history lesson Mm -hmm. you guys fucking genius and they're dealing with parents who are have real ptsd from the war and are taking it out it's a big difference pubs Mm -hmm. and 
abusing their children and abusing their wives really puts that more into perspective. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So 18 years old, she starts working at a local market and she's kind of like the office clerk. She Mm -hmm. sort of does all the billing and paperwork and stuff. Mm -hmm. When she lays eyes on 21 year old Ian Brady. Ooh. Sorry. When she lays eyes on 23 year old (laughs) Ian Brady. (laughs) Hey. Ian Brady was born Ian Stewart, January 1938 in Scotland. He is a bastard. He is the son of a young mom. No sign of his dad anywhere. She is stressed out. So she gives Ian up when he's very young to like a local couple that she knows, Mary and John Sloan. They take him in. They're lovely. They have four of their own kids and they raise Ian as his own from a very young age. His mom still comes by to visit, but she visits as like the family friend. Okay. He does figure this. He figures it out eventually who she is and they just kind of don't talk about it. Yeah. Because this is the generation of like, we don't talk about shit. Right. I mean, and that's just it. What this hardest things are. That's an effort. Like she's trying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He has a great childhood, normal childhood. Um, they they also live in like council housing. But at nine years old, they get upgraded to a newly built council estate, which is Ooh. super nice. A council estate. Yes. And it even has an indoor bathroom. Wow. Which is like state of the art. Dang. So he's happy. He's healthy. But the move takes him further away from where his mom lives. So his mom, therefore, visits less because it's hard for her to physically get there. For sure. At 12 years old, he starts going to school at this really nice academy filled with like rich kids. He fits in fine. Um, However, (laughs) Ian fucking loves Nazis. He loves Hitler. He loves Nazis. He's racist. He loves that shit. And, and that's he, outside of his family? like Yes. His, okay. And he very much wants, he feels like an outsider in the sense that like on the, he always talks about like how on the playground when the kids are like goofing around and like being silly. Yeah. He always felt above that. He's like, they're being fucking stupid and I'm going to be over here thinking about Nazis. You know what I mean? Like, he's always wow. like, those guys are too silly and immature. And I'm like. Above that. Way smarter than that and above wow. that. Okay. And he even starts collecting Nazi memorabilia. At which what again, age? 12. Which <sighs> isn't that hard to get his hands on because we're still in post-World War II uh, no, England. I, for sure. But it's like to no, just put yourself on such a... I'm sorry. At this time, he's in Scotland. A pedestal at such a young... Like, I'm so above all these other 12-year-olds. Some would like, say he's a narcissist. Uh, wow. In 1950, his mom marries a Marine and moves away to Manchester, England with him. And that cuts off all ties and talks to Ian. Yeah. They lose contact for a good few years. This causes Ian to act out. This formerly good kid starts by like joining gangs. He does a lot of breaking and enterings. He does a lot of stealing and like jumping people he loves to carry around a switchblade where he eventually, like, he has a girlfriend and he, like, threatens to, like, slit his girlfriend's throat with his cool. switchblade, which is 
fantastic. Right. 13 years old. He's kind of on and off probation, just in and out of trouble. Oh, yeah. Just normal stuff. 15 years old. He's working at different jobs until 16 years old. He's back in court for more breaking and entering. And they decide everything they're doing with him is not working. So they deport him to Manchester, England to live with his mama and his new stepdad. His mom's name's Maggie. I believe his stepdad's name is Patrick. Um, and he shows up at a train station. His mom and Patrick pick him up. And even though they haven't spoken in four years, they all get along great. He loves his stepdad. Nice. They bond really well. He takes the new name Brady almost instantly. What a happy family. Ian is described by neighbors as shy, polite, respect, respectful, but also like overtly racist. Oh, my God. And also kind of sketchy. Cool. Like they don't catch him doing anything. That really outweighs the other yeah. stuff. They don't ever <laughs> catch him doing anything. Like, oh, he's so polite, but also, but also fucking racist. hates black people. Yeah. <laughs> um, they don't ever like catch him doing anything but it's always like why do you have wads of cash like why do you have like it's just sketchy you know yeah. I mean? you know when someone's not on the up and up and you're just like whatever i'm gonna mind my business yeah one year after his deportation he is caught stealing 44 pounds of lead seals now when i first what do you mean by seal i'm getting there yeah. so when i first read this with my own two eyes I was picturing, because I didn't read the lead part. It said 44 pounds of seals. I'm picturing a sack of 44, like, sea lion cubs. Like, baby seals. No, legit. Like, <laughs> believe me. When you That's say what I'm seals, but then I'm, I'm like, like that, are you thinking like a stamp, like I'm a all, seal? Where did he get 44 baby seals from? That doesn't make any sense. No, it's lead seals. It is made to like seal something up and he's getting it for like a third party so they can sell it to somebody. Okay. But he's the one who's caught with them. So he's the one who goes down for it. Okay. He is sent to a boy's home for two years. It's a bad place to be. It's a real shitty situation to me. It's, it reminds me very much of like the Magdalene laundries. Ooh. Right. Of our mysterious non photo photo. That's the episode. Right, that, but yeah. I posted it eventually. Did we? Yes. Okay, good. I did. Oh, yeah, you did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Fun. it does. It reminds me of like the Magdalene Laundries. A shitty yeah. place. Abusive, awful conditions. Right. But like. Basically slave the, labor. The veil of something good. To help them. Mm -hmm. Or because they deserve to be there. Right. Because they're bad people. And right. This is their punishment. Mm -hmm. While he's there, he takes up like bookkeeping because he's very smart. Mm -hmm. And they figure that out. Yeah. So he does like the books for it, but he does. He's in that situation. It's a bad situation. And he comes out of it very emotionally detached. February 1959, he gets a job as a local store clerk at a market. He's very quiet. He keeps his head down. There's no more crime. He's just kind of going through his life. Fast forward. Okay. Myra shows up at this store that he works at and for her it's love at 
first sight. Really? As soon as she sees this dude. And we're talking about like quiet, mousy, super Catholic, ready to give up her life for Catholicism, Myra, right? And is he a looker? I'm getting there. Hold yeah. on. I'm taking a Because you know, you know I got to know. I need the details. It's literally my next sentence. I can't wait. Ian has dark hair and blue eyes. He's got good skin <laughs> and he's well-groomed. He's also well-dressed. Is he, always, he a scars guard? No. Yeah. <laughs> he always wears suits and he's different mm-hmm. than the other guys. Mm-hmm. He's always reading. He's not part of their. You could have started with that. That alone. That right there. He's different from the other. There's always something about the bad boy. But he's not a bad boy necessarily. It's but that he he's, is. He is, but she doesn't know that yet. It's the fact that he is clearly like smarter. That's why it's so sexy. And more mature. Yeah. He's not part of their immature. Right banter and bullshit and he's like dark he can hold his own and kind of like yeah maybe a little dangerous yeah she's into it oh yeah she's into it hard he's always reading he's very well read and that's like while all the guys in the break room are doing their bullshit he's like reading his yeah. fucking classic literature yeah. so mysterious and he doesn't notice myra at all. Oh, the hottest thing ever. Yeah. To he doesn't ignored, even know she fucking exists. That alone. Dude, she's sold. You you don't see that so, I exist. I'm yours. She starts getting dolled up for work. Mm-hmm. She starts doing her little makeup, doing her little hair, changing the way she dresses a bit, showing up to work, looking nice. Doesn't notice her. Wow. She starts taking note of what book he's reading and she'll go to the library, check out the same book, bring it into work, read it. He doesn't notice. This goes on for about a year where she's actively trying to get his attention and he's actively not noticing her at all. And it's driving her fucking crazy. She's not going to let him ignore her the way her dad always ignored her. That explains a lot. So I need to know you. Mm -hmm. You would invest a year on dropping hints on a guy like this? I don't know. How in love am I? <laughs> I? I don't think I would in my modern day world. But I'm. am I in the no, 60s where I've always lived in a bubble and I finally met somebody who I'm like, oh, no, this is I'd something different. No, I'd say modern day world, but picture you're at that stage of your life. 18? Yeah. I don't know. Modern day world, but that stage of, I don't like. I know for sure you wouldn't the 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 game of it all i don't even know if you would last a week well you'd be like okay i'm not how dare you you want to talk to me i didn't want to talk to you a fucking library and rented a book how it would never get the audacity you you, because you and i are very different so you would be like that's why i ask you get the privilege of (laughs) me noticing you and you don't notice me back Well, I'm going to fuck your coworker, and I bet you notice me then. I'm going to fuck your coworker. And then I'm a cancer, so I'm like, just love me. I'm writing poetry and shit, you know? That's so funny. (laughs) I love it. Anywho. So it's driving her crazy. She's got daddy issues. Her dad ignored her. 
a guy that she loves, air quote, loves ignoring her, mm-hmm. is driving her up a fucking wall. Forget it. Driving her feral. <laughs> Love it. She even starts like, she finds out where he lives and she starts wow. like. Wow. She's legit stalking. Walking by his house. Legit stalking. Cool. She finds out his local pubs. And okay. she's trying, she's like sitting in his local pubs, reading these fucking books, waiting for him to walk in the door. So and nothing is happening. I have to say, this is nice to hear because I don't get any background on her at all in the movie. So Myra, listen, spoiler alert. Anybody who kills children is a fucking monster. Clearly. This case is much more interesting than I thought. And I can't wait to tell you more about Myra in particular. Because when you watch the documentary later and when you hear, even read the articles and hear how people talk about her, these two people did the same thing. And you could even argue that Ian did the lion's share of the bad stuff. And when people talk about them, Mm -hmm. it's Myra who is the evil bitch. She's demonized. Wow. And I'm going to get into it more a little bit later. But she's so different from like societal norms and how we think women should behave and what women should want, especially back then that they hold that against her in a big way. Big time. Because they're like, yeah, Ian's a fucking psycho and he's doing A, B, and C. But, but look how, at this bitch. How is you as a woman could you right. do this? How could She's very against societal norms huh. and it they hold it against her to this day. They will, if you read articles, it's crazy because they're like, Ian did this, 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 and this. But this de- demonic, possessed, she evil, fucking in the- bitch. Wow. Yeah, they hate her in England. They hate her, but they did the same shit. And Ian did more than her, and they hate her more. See, because, spoiler alert, in the movie, like I said, I get no background on any of them. Mm-hmm. And she is not portrayed this way. Right. Yeah. And it very much reminds me. Again, you'll have to tell me how you feel after I tell you more about her. It reminds me very much of... um is it Sid Vicious and mm. who's his girl? Nancy. Nancy. Mm-hmm. Sid and Nancy. Sid and Nancy. It reminds me very much of Sid and Nancy get, yeah. where Sid Vic- Vicious was really the scumbag. But because she had equal. Nancy was so different from how society thought a woman should behave, she gets the brunt of the criticism. They all blamed she, it on her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is very similar vibes. Yeah. Wow. Okay, cool. What a different take. December 1961. She finally chooses the right book. Ooh. And she's reading it in the break room. What book is it? I don't know. Oh. Ian asks her about it. Like how she likes it. Mm -hmm. And it sparks up a conversation. He's like, he he grabs it from her. He flips through it. And he's like, maybe I'll have to borrow it from you later. Okay. And then... Further on in that December at a company Christmas party, as they're all sitting there drinking, Ian Ian is drinking heavily and Myra's drinking her little rum and Coke. Ian comes up and asks. We could have had rum and Coke. Oh, there's lots of booze in this. I mean, wait, just wait. 
Ian comes up and asks her for a dance. Oh, not a dance. And they dance the rest of the party. Cute. He offers to walk her home. What a love story. It is a love story. So he walks her home and he asks if she wants to meet up later. Yeah, she does. Of course she does. Yeah, she does. She runs into our house. She gets dolled up and they proceed to go on a what is described as a pub crawl. What a time. They're drunk. They're walking pub to pub to pub. Love this. We literally love this. At her door, Ian doesn't push. He gives her a kiss goodnight. He walks away. What a gentleman. I'm selling you on these people, right? These people uh, right. These people killed children, Bailey. I know. They're fucking I know this. horrible people. I literally... they're, they're, they're the worst. I know this going into it. I watched the fucking show. Like, but so far, I'm selling you. I know. I'm like, so cute. <laughs> so they officially start dating. Ian pops her cherry at yes. some point, takes her virginity, which, you know, now she's going to be obsessed with him, right? Because she wasn't. Already, already stalking him. Um, and then Ian starts sharing his views on the world. Of course. All his of his views. racist bullshit. How much he loves Nazis. How much he hates religion. He is an atheist. He thinks religion is bullshit. And this like sweet, seemingly normal religious girl starts to change her views to match up with her boyfriend. Yeah. And she starts to reject all that, like, societal norms that she had previously bought into. Myra drops all of her friends. Yeah. All of her friends. She wants to be readily available for Ian. For her, man. 24-7. Mm-hmm. She's got to be ready to go whenever he's ready for her. She changes her looks. She starts to... She bleaches out her hair. That makes sense now. Yep. She, okay. She gets a bleach blonde, like, bouffant. I she, get it. She starts wearing um, these, like, really tailored pantsuits mm-hmm. and, like, high heel stiletto boots. All of this to kind of match Ian's style of always being well, well-dressed, well-groomed. He's always in, like, three-piece suits. Yeah. She's in her pantsuits and her heels and her lipstick and her hair and her... You get you get in the vibe. I got it for sure. Ian is eventually promoted and now he is Myra's boss. Mm. They start hanging out pretty much exclusively together. They love going to the movies. They love animals. Okay. Animals are their thing. Mm-hmm. It's a, a love they really share. They love to drink. They love to read books and poetry and listen to vinyl records and of course, they love to listen. They love to listen to Hitler speeches. Uh, and who doesn't read, read Mein Kampf? You know, right. for fun. Right. Ian starts to call her Hess, um, which is after Hitler's basically right hand man, Rudolf Hess. Cute. Here's my take on them because they're also so they are kind of in their own bubble, right? Yeah. And they're just listening to their records, smoking cigarettes, drinking wine, reading their fancy yeah. fucking books, well-dressed, They're Hitler books. Mm-hmm. They're hipsters. Mm-hmm. They're hipsters. Mm-hmm. They think that they are so much cooler and smarter than everybody around them. On another them. level. They are so much better than all of us. For sure. And so, that's my take on them is that they are 1960s hipsters. Oh, I 
completely visualize that. Mm-hmm. I can absolutely see that. They move in together. They only, like I said, they only socialize with each other. So even at work or whatever, they're like off in a little corner, ferreted away, yeah. talking to each other. They reject all societal norms. So they are not into marriage, kids, religion. They don't like the idea. Like to them, hell on earth is like the nine to five mundane normal life. Okay. They want to be above that. They want to reach like greater heights. Sure. Then that that even carries over into their sex life where Ian introduces her to like kind of violent erotica Mm. and it gets darker and darker from there. They start reading and kind of ingesting this porn, which goes even into like incest, rape, torture, bestiality, raping kids, necrophilia. It gets real dark. Yeah. And real weird. Sounds like it. They'll read that. They'll reenact it. They like to put on hoods and masks. They Ian's really into like bondage, tying Myra up. Okay. He loves anal sex. He loves getting pegged. Mm-hmm. He likes it both ways. Yep. Which I mean, fine, fair enough. Sure. It's even even playing ground. Uh-huh. But it gets so, and he's like into like whippings. Like, who doesn't like to be spanked? But he likes to no, like the, this is hard. A, this fucking is pain. Core, yeah. Whipping, hitting, yeah, spanking for the sake of hurting somebody. And so she actually gets to the point. Myra gets to the point where she needs to be drunk to to fuck endure him all of this. It's so much, of course, she has to be drunk to be yeah, able yeah, to yeah. perform for her man. It would be so hard. It escalates to the point. Where all of this kinky sex and all of this weird, twisted, disgusting porn isn't enough to get him off anymore. And he starts wanting the real thing. Yeah. And he starts convincing Myra and she eventually agrees. And this kicks off Ian's obsessive planning of taking a child and doing whatever he wants with it. Oh, oh. They even start parking outside of schools and watching kids, parking oh. around the neighborhoods, watching kids. This is a different level. Ian plans out their first abduction to every single detail, all the way down to like the outfits they're wearing. He counts the buttons on the outfits. He has every single detail planned out precisely until they're finally ready to make their move. So their overall plan is Myra is going to borrow their neighbor's black van. She's going to drive around a neighborhood. Ian's going to follow behind on his motorcycle. When Myra sees a child, she's going to slow down. And if Ian likes the look of the kid, he's going to flash his headlights and that's going to be her green flag to get the kid in the van. Ew. The plan is that Myra will do all the talking because, one, they're going to target the neighborhoods that she grew up in. Okay. So, again, everyone knows everyone and nobody talks to outsiders. Yep. So, they know her. Yep. She's been around and she knows how to talk to these kids and she's better with kids than obviously psychopath weird Ian is. a female 
female. It's a female. Easier to trust. And it's a female that they all know. Yeah. And once they get the kid into the van, they're going to drive the kid off to Saddleworth Moor, which is a very special place for Ian and Myra. They love going to the moors. And in case you're wondering, B, what a moor is. I fucking love the moors. Oh. If, if you and I grew up in these areas, mm-hmm. we would be drinking in the moors. Mm-hmm. I know that the moors would be our vibe. Okay. Because there's a British teen show on Netflix that I watch. It's called like Red Rose or something. Okay. It's a BBC, I think, but it's like a Netflix show. Yeah. Um, all the all the cool kids, they all party in the moors. Okay. Yeah. That would I'll have to watch it. So I can't believe you have a teen BBC drama that you haven't shared with me until now. Because it's not that good. I don't care. I don't, so picture Pretty Little Liars, right? Because mm-hmm. it's the whole concept is this cyber hacker. Okay. It's on their phones. Okay. And it's driving them crazy. It's a series? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. And they're all in the moors. Oh, they they party in the moors. Well, for the listeners who don't know, mm-hmm. a moor is an uncultivated hill land. Mm-hmm. It's usually grassy, rocky, kind of boggy in some places. Think the Scottish Highlands. Think if I have any English nerds listening, Wuthering Heights. When we went to Canada, it's the Badlands. Yeah. Where the all moors. the all the dinosaurs are. I actually, at first, before getting deep into this, if you would have told me a more, I was personally picturing the Shadowlands of like Lord of the Rings. I literally, I was just gonna the say bombs. Lord. Of, I was gonna say Lord of the Rings. Yeah, the the ponds or whatever. The, the bogs. Yeah, the bogs. Yeah, yeah where they're the, like the dead bodies are yeah, floating in the bogs yeah, yeah, and yeah, Gollum's yeah, yeah. like, I can take you through the bogs yeah. because the fucking Nazgul don't For, know them. Uh-huh. Orcs are scared uh-huh. of it. It's not that boggy though. No. There's not that much water. It's land. Yeah, it's land. Mm-hmm. But it's, that is what I was thinking it's of. mossy. It's like yes. fairy territory. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, Scottish Highlands and then if you guys really want a great... If you've never read Wuthering Heights... It's one of the, I love it. It's one of my favorite books of all time. And they have great descriptions of the Moors. The, the Moors. Um, in Emily Bronte's 1947, col- or sorry, 1847 classic. 1847, Yeah, Jesus. the Bronte sisters were Victorian era English literature, 1847. And <laughs> in Wuthering Heights, the Moors are not just a main location, but also a main theme in the book and it represents a place between two opposing states good versus evil life versus death and Wuthering Heights is one of Ian and Myra's favorite books they go to the moors quite often yeah they like the moors yeah July 12th 1963 they finally get to put their plan into place they both work until about five o'clock they go home, they have dinner, hang out until around 7.30 when they head out with Myra in the van, Ian on his motorcycle, headed back to Myra's old neighborhood in Manchester. She knows it well. The people know her. And first she sees a nine-year-old who she knows who it is, 
and she drives past because she feels like that girl is too young. Good. And Ian pulls her over and is like, what the fuck are you doing? And she's like, that's like a baby. She's like, I'm not doing it. And he's like, "Okay, let's just try to find another one. Yeah, thank you. So they keep on driving and they see 16 year old Pauline Reed walking on her own. Pauline has dark hair and light eyes. She is a good girl who loves music and dancing and art. She's very shy. She's had the same group of friends since they were little children all growing up together in this neighborhood, including Myra's own little sister, Maureen. So Myra knows this girl, too. She's her little sister's friend. There's like a dance going on that night. Pauline begs her mom to let her go to the dance. Her friends can't go. And so she's basically begging her mom to let her go alone, which back then was very taboo. But eventually her mom, as a lot of us moms do, relent. And she even ends up helping Pauline fix her hair. She lends Pauline one of her favorite necklaces, which is a locket. Comments how beautiful she looks. And Pauline, so excited, walks out the door and heads for this dance. What she doesn't know is that a couple of her friends actually ended up being able to go. They probably nagged their own moms into saying yes. And they want to surprise Pauline. So they actually see her walking around eight o'clock towards wherever this dance is being held. And the friends all decide, let's surprise her at the dance. So that way when she walks in, we'll be it's there. a big deal. So they hurry on, on ahead to the dance to wait for Pauline, who then, of course, never, never shows up. Mm-hmm. She never shows up because on her way there, Myra pulls over the van And asks Pauline, who I'm sure recognizes Myra, if she wants a ride. Pauline says yes, jumps in the van. And then Myra asks for help finding one of her lost gloves. She has this like expensive like designer pair of gloves. And she said that she lost one. Would she mind helping her look for it? And of course, Pauline says yes. And Myrene, sorry. Myrene. Pauline says yes. So Myra drives them to the moor to look for her glove where Ian is waiting for them. They get Pauline out of the van. Ian convinces her to follow him into the moor with a flashlight to look for this glove. And while they're gone, Myra cannot get Pauline out of her head because her perfume she wears the same perfume as Myra. Mm. And it's really like resonating with her. It's kind of hard for her to get out of her head. Um, and in case you're wondering, the perfume she's wearing is called June by Saville. Because you guys know on the podcast. We are a perfume podcast. Yeah. We're some perfume bitches. We are. Now, if you don't think I didn't look scour up. I'm, the internet mm-hmm, to find it this. has been discontinued decades ago. I'm sure. They don't make it anymore. The closest thing I can get is an empty bottle of it for like 60 bucks. Cool. For like decorative pers- sure. purposes. I'm like, we could still probably smell it, but I'm not spending 60 bucks on an, oh, empty, an bottle. empty bottle. Yeah. No. I tried so hard. I even looked up like smelling notes to tell you what it smelled like. Because I'm 
dying, dying to, know to know what Myra Hindley smelled like. Because, yeah, I mean, episode on episode, we were perfume pr- people. So she's thinking about her perfume. She's thinking about the fact that she's her sister's friend. And Myra just keeps thinking to herself, if I can do this without conscience, I can do anything. Okay. So a little while later, Ian shows back up to the van, all sweaty, Mm -hmm. with a shovel and a knife. And he needs her help burying the body. Now, stories change. So... That's what Myra claims. She claims that she waited in the van. She has no idea what happened to Pauline. She just knows that Pauline ended up dead. Okay. Ian claims later, much later, decades later, that Myra was in on it the whole time, obviously, but she was like in it with him. And that when she started beating Pauline, she became deranged and started going so over the top with it that he had to physically stop her and restrain her because she was so demented. Sure. Seems like a crazy thing to stop her from doing that when you're in it to kill this girl to begin with. Right. So those are two contradicting stories. I guess you can choose who to believe. Either way, they both help bury the body in the moor. Yeah. By 10.30 p.m., they're headed back home, and they actually now see, as they're, like, driving into their house and into their apartment, Pauline's mom and brother actively out in the streets looking for Pauline. They're going door to door, causing a ruckus, trying to find sweet Pauline. Of course. They clean the van, they burn their clothes, and they celebrate this great win with booze and sex. Woo, as they do. They feel like gods. They feel untouchable. This is it. There's nothing more taboo than this. There's nothing more they can do to press against society than this. And they are bonded more than ever. Of course. The next day, there's a search for Pauline, but there's no evidence And, of course, the rumors are, because she is 16 years old, that she, like, ran away with some dude and didn't tell her family. Now, all of her friends and family know that she's not the type to do this. Of course, nobody's listening to them. Nobody ever listens to the mom who tells authorities, my kid would never do this. Mm -hmm. So, Pauline's mom spends however long, I mean, endless, endless hours just walking and going on buses and going on trains and going from town to town and from door to door searching for anybody who knows anything about her daughter. And of course she comes up empty handed. Obviously it's heartbreaking. Ian and Myra go back to the burial site often and eventually they go on holiday in Scotland. Ooh. But before they leave, Myra asks the police if they wouldn't mind watching over her van for her. So nobody like messes with it while they're mm. on holiday. Mm-hmm. The fucking audacity of this bitch to go to-, to the cops where she had a kidnapped person and ask them, like, could you just please Take watch a- over yeah. my van? Mm-hmm. Take care of this. Because at this point, the neighbor just gave the van to Myra for some reason. I don't know why, but he just gave it to her. So it's like her van now. Okay. Way to get that van. 
the cars are weird with them. They switch cars a lot. Yeah. So they go on vacation. They come home. They get their van. The cop who's been watching it for Myra actually wants to buy the van. And he kind of wants a piece of Myra. For whatever reason. And I don't know why. Myra starts an affair with this cop. What? She tell Ian knows all about it. What? The cop is married. You were blowing my mind. They have a long affair. And Ian, of course, is at first he thinks it's funny because he's like, oh, it'd be great to have it's like a cop. a cop in our pocket. Yeah. But then when it keeps going, he threatens to kill the cop. And even after that, Myra still fucks him. She's like, nah. I'm fucking this dude and there's just you're just not going to stop me. Well, I mean, after so, him ignoring her for happy all those years. Women's History Month, everybody. Get it, Myra. Jesus. And at one point, the cop even like offers Myra like a job. He's like, you know, you could like join the police just, like, force. Just like leave this asshole. You could leave the. I don't know if he knows about Ian, but Ian oh. definitely knows about him. OK. But the cop is like, you could. Join the force. Okay. And they, Ian loves the idea. He's like, think of all the, the in- inside think of all the intel you will get. And Myra, who was excited about the prospect because it would be a life change, decides not to do it for that reason. It skeeves her out. And she's like, no, no, no. That's it's- not what this was going to be about. This was going to be about me doing something and not about you trying to kidnap and fuck children. So... Never mind, I guess. Okay, I guess. Good on her. I guess. By November 1963, Ian wants to go again. Yeah. This time he wants to go younger Mm. for two reasons. One, he's really sexually attracted to children. And Pauline was a minor, but not a child. Right. And two... Pauline was really hard for him to subdue and overtake because she was the size of an adult. Mm -hmm. And he's a little bitch ass motherfucker Mm -hmm. who's never done anything beside read his stupid books. Mm -hmm. So he had a hard time overtaking her. And so he wants a child so he can easily overcome like a man because he's a piece of shit. Of course. Makes sense. So Myra, because she will do anything for Ian, breaks up with the cop. She breaks off their affair. She can't help fantasizing and thinking about what a different turn her life would have taken because she really has feelings for this cop. Mm -hmm. And she's like, what would my life had? What would it have been had I met him before I met Ian? What different twist would my life have taken? But that's not what happens. Yeah. And. I'm a ride or die for Ian, so I got to break it off with this guy, and we got to start planning our next kidnapping. Okay. I appreciate the dedication. I guess. November 23rd, 1963, 12-year-old John Kilbride is the oldest of seven. He has brown hair and freckles and a gap tooth, which, I don't know, it, it tugs at my heartstrings because not at 12 years old, but he that just perfectly describes my son at like seven years old. Yeah. Brown hair, freckles, gap teeth. That's exactly how my kid looked at like seven. Yeah. He's popular. He's cheerful. He loves going to the movies. He always is available to help his grandma around the house because she's kind of like old and decrepit and 
you know, he's of a course. good kid. And on in no, that November, he is at an outdoor market, kind of like a very, very, very big farmer's market. OK. He had gone to the movies with his friends earlier. They had all spent their money and now they were at the market to see if they could help any of the sellers for like some spare money. OK. He is last seen at 530 when Myra offers him a ride home in her new Ford Angela, which my nerds out there will know is the car that um, the car that Mr. Weasley bewitches to fly in Harry Potter and that the Weasley twins and Ron Weasley steal from Mr. Weasley to um, help Harry Potter escape in Harry Holy Potter number guacamole. two. Wow. Well, I'm drinking to that. That's it's a Ford Angela, baby. A, a, an Angela. I mean, if you didn't know, you fucking know now. That's right. Now on the ride home, because Ian's in the car too. So it's Ian and Myra in the car with 12-year-old John. They offer him a bottle of sherry. And he's like, yeah, of course. Sure. And they're like, okay, we just have to stop by our house and grab it real quick. And instead of going to their house, they go to Saddleworth Moor. Mm. And uh, John or Ian convinces John to get out of the car. This time, Ian rapes John, slices his throat, and eventually strangles him to death with a cord. Ian's happy. Because this was easier than the last one. He could have his way more. And he uses this as proof, especially to Myra, that this is proof that there is no God. Because if there was a God, he would have stopped me. Sure. And he didn't. So there you go. What more do you need? There, of course, is a they go home, do the same shit they did, clean the car, burn the clothes, whatever. Mm -hmm. There's a search for John, who obviously at his age and what they were up to at the time at the market with his friends is not a runaway. No. This eventually turns into the largest search for a missing person in UK history, but they still have nothing. And by mid-December, authorities are so desperate that they bring in the psychics. Oh, we love it when they bring in a psychic. Get ready for this. Okay. The psychic they bring bring in has a vision. Oh. She says that she sees John on a barren open landscape. Standing down slope with no trees, a road to his right near a stream. Oh, you mean a fucking moor? Was that a moor that she just described? Was that all? Isn't that crazy? She fucking nailed it. I know. Now, Ian and Myra really like to park outside the Kilbride household to watch the family fucking fall apart they love it they think it's great these pieces of shit they also still love to visit the moors they love to visit the burial sites they start taking pictures there they like to bring their dogs there and take pictures at the burial sites which they then um develop and put into their album with like their regular pictures so they're showing these albums to their friends and family who think it's just like pictures they're taking on a hike 
But really, they're taking pictures of them where they've buried children. Oh, man. Next, they abduct 12-year-old Keith Bennett, who's on the way to his grandma's house. They ask for his help to load some boxes into their car, which is now a mini pickup truck. Oh. They, cho- they change cars constantly. Yeah. Um, they then offer him a ride home for his help. And, of course, he says yes. And, of course, they take him to the same moor. And they se- and Ian sexually assaults him and strangles him and buries him and destroys the evidence. Wow. December 1964, they're at a fair, like a carnival, when they see 10-year-old Leslie Ann Downey all alone. She had gone to the fair with her little brother and the neighbor kids. Um, they were supposed... The neighbor kids' parents were supposed to supervise and go with them, but the mom had a headache. She stayed behind, gave the kids money, sent them to the fair. Sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Sounds like the fairs I've been to. They have a 5 p.m. curfew, and right before 5, all the kids start heading home. And on the walk home, for whatever reason, Leslie, who's always been such a good girl... Decides to go back to the fair. She turns around. She runs back. I don't know mm. why. Nobody knows why. Did she leave something there? Was she deciding to be rebellious? For whatever reason, yeah. she goes back to the fair alone. She's last seen at six o'clock by some like fellow schoolmates who saw her standing alone by the bumper cars. That is when Ian and Myra approach her carrying boxes of groceries which they purposefully drop some. So she boxes helps. Boxes of groceries. It's the 60s. I they're know. in like boxes. Like Costco has boxes of groceries. I know, but they're just like walking around a fair with. I don't know. So they purposefully drop some. She helps them pick up their groceries. And then they ask, oh, can you help us carry these boxes to the car? And we'll like pay you for yeah. it. And she says, yes. And then they're like, oh, well, for all that help, we can also give you a ride home. Oh. She says, yes. Now, they do not take her to a moor. They take her back to their house, their apartment. <sighs> Ian's already upstairs waiting for her. He starts a tape recorder. And he basically tells her to take off her clothes. That He's going to put a gag in her mouth. Leslie refuses. He turns off the recording because there's only one outlet in the whole room. Because he wants to set up his video or his uh, camera now to take pictures on like a tripod. And he's basically telling Leslie that all she has to do is take a picture. And once he takes his pictures, she's free to go home. But she is still refusing and fighting back. So eventually he strips her down and he gags her. He ties her up and he strangles her with a cord. All while taking pictures of her. He then um, has Myra help him bathe her body and they wrap her in a bed sheet and lay her on the bed because the weather at the time is too bad to drive out to the moor to bury her. Mm. So instead, they spend the evening developing the pictures and re-listening to the recordings, the audio recordings. Leslie's family, of course, spends the night searching for her everywhere. And the next morning, they take Leslie out to the moor where they bury her. The police search everywhere. They get nothing. They distribute almost 20,000 posters and flyers. um, And they get nothing. 
Ian and Myra's love the family's desperation. They think it's hilarious. They have a good chuckle about it. Sounds right. Often. Now, after this, Myra's little sister, Maureen, has a uh, around a six month old daughter with her partner. Her and her partner, David, have this baby and the baby dies. Oh, they go into grieving. Ian and Myra don't quite get it. Ian doesn't get it at all. He's like, why the fuck are you crying over a baby? Myra's like, I kind of get it. But she's literally like, just get a dog. She's like, I get it. For real, though. Like, you're sad, but, like, just get a dog. How hard would it fucking be? Come on. So the couples start spending more and more time together. Eventually... They actually, Maureen and David, move into the apartment, like, very close to Myra and Ian. They get closer and closer. Ian and David spend a lot of time together. Ian tries the same shit with 17-year-old David that he did with Myra, which is, like, telling him his points of views and his bullshit and his theories and great, fantastic. Okay. David's into it. He really looks up to Ian as, like, of course, a smart, well-read, mature this is a man. Obviously. This is who I want to be when I grow up. Obviously. October 6, 1965, Ian and Myra are trying to go to a bar. And when they get up to when Ian gets up to the door, 17-year-old Edward Evans tells Ian they're closed. Edward is a tall, good-looking young man, well-dressed. He's a huge Manchester United fan. And he's a huge fan of going to the pub with his friends. Okay. He does it every day to the point where his family's getting a little worried. Every day. But like yeah. boys will be boys, right? Yeah. So on this particular evening, he's on his own flying solo. He goes to this pub. He's the one who discovers it's closed because the door is locked. And he's kind of just hanging around outside figuring out what to do next. When Ian comes up, tries the door, he tells Ian... It's locked. They're closed. And all the bars like there's nothing to do around here. He's like, this was it. I don't know what to tell you. And so Ian, seeing this young, handsome man, is like, well, you could just kind of have beers back at my place and invites Edward over for beers. Mm -hmm. Back in the apartment, Ian sends Myra to go get David, which she does. And this is like 1115 at night. Oh, my God. David and Maureen are in bed. And they wake up to Myra like, you have to come with me, whatever. She makes up whatever excuse. David walks her back to the apartment. He walks in and hears multiple screams coming from the living room. David walks into the living room to see Edward on the ground while Ian is hitting him repeatedly with an axe. Cool. I believe he ends up hitting this kid about 14 times with an axe. And just to make sure, he then strangles him to death. Wow. Incredible. Ian is then covered in blood, of course. And he looks up laughing at Myra and David and goes, it's the messiest one yet. And David's like, what? And he's panicked. He's paralyzed with fear. He can't move. Could you imagine walking into this? These people who you thought were like your family. No. What's happening here? They convince David to help them wrap Edward into a sheet 
in a plastic. Okay. Like, sure. They wrap it in a blanket and then, like, a sheet of plastic. Yeah. Normal. They then clean the apartment, clean themselves. And Ian and I are happy as clams because they think they have, like, an apprentice. They think they have someone who's going to, like, help them do this. Right? And David's going along with it. But that's only because he's scared he's going to fucking die, too, if he doesn't go along with it. So they put Edward in their bedroom, Mm -hmm. kind of out of sight. And then David eventually leaves the apartment around 3 a.m. And as soon as he's out of sight of Ian and Myra's windows, he sprints home. And he goes home and he tells Maureen everything. 6 a.m. on October 7th, 1965, David and Maureen, armed with a knife and a screwdriver, walk down to the local telephone box to phone the police department, who then come and get them and they run to the car. They're like pounding on the, like, let us in this car because if these motherfuckers see us on the street talking to you, it's a problem. Of so course. the police let them into their car, take them down to the police station. They tell the police everything, make official statements. And by 8 a.m., the police are at Ian and Myra's apartment. After a lot of back and forth and arguing, Ian finally, air quote, comes clean, says that, yes, there's a dead body in the apartment. Him and Edward had gotten into a fight the previous night. And as self-defense, he had to kill Edward because Edward was trying to kill him. Mm -hmm. So at that point, only Ian's arrested. But of course, Myra is super pushy and comes to the police station, too. And Ian sticks to his story of self-defense. He does drag David into the story, saying that David helped him do like A, B, C, and D. But he strongly stands firm that Myra had nothing to do with it. She had no idea it was going on. She never even saw the body, saw the altercation. 100% innocent. Nothing to do with it. Wow. They then do a full search of the apartment where they do find traces of blood and hair and clothing. David has this memory that during all these drunken nights with Ian, Ian and when he killed Edward that Ian had made the comment that he had killed before. And he kind of made these comments about having like kind of sketchy stuff that he was going to pack away in to suitcases. And David's like, look, I don't know where these suitcases would be. I don't know what's in these suitcases, but if they're not in the apartment, this guy's obsessed with train stations. Maybe look at a train station. Yeah. So the cops go to the Manchester train station where they go to like checked luggage. They find luggage checked under their names. And this luggage has the fucking treasure trove of evidence from clothes to photos to um, their extremely graphic, violent porn to the audio tapes to like mementos they've kept from their victims and clothing, everything is in these suitcases. Yeah, for sure. So they have a lot to work with here. When they find the audio recordings, they have an idea of who it is. They have Leslie Ann's mom listen 
to the audio tapes where she hears her own daughter mm. begging for her life and begging for her mom. And Leslie Ann's mom confirms that that is her daughter on the tape. They look out and um, look into like missing persons cases. That's what leads them to Leslie Ann, Pauline, Keith. Um, they start working with all the cops and all the little areas start working together. They start to notice all these like odd pictures of the Moors. And they're like, well, why are there just pictures of like landscape? Why, what are these about? What's going on here? So they start searching the Moors in October 1965. They start by obsessively trying to match the pictures to the actual Moor locations, which is really hard to do. Um, they spend hundreds of hours. The search team goes out with metal rods, which they'll stick into the ground, hmm. which can't tell you anything by feel because it's so right, rocky right. and muddy and whatever. That's but the what point. they're trying to do is they're sticking into the ground, pulling it back up to see if they can smell decay, to see if they've stabbed a metal rod into a dead body. <laughs> So they can smell the dead body and be like, we got something here. Right. And they're doing this in thousands and thousands of acres of wildland. So they're having a hard time finding anything. October 16th, they're ready to pack up the search. They haven't found anything. One of the officers needs to go take a wee. So he goes off away from everyone to pee. When he looks down as he's pissing and sees a bone sticking out of the fucking ground and he he alerts everybody and they're like, no, bro, we've looked everywhere. It's probably an animal bone. He's like, no, I'm not fucking leaving until we dig this shit up. Right. I'm not like, what are we doing here? And they dig it up and they find the body of Leslie Ann. Good. Now. Myra's not talking. No, of course not. To anybody. Period. Full stop. Which I appreciate because that's what you're supposed to do. I agree. Um, but the police do match her fingerprints to the ones on the photos taken of Leslie Ann bound and gagged in a bed. Mm. Leslie Ann's pictures are also gone over and they match the headboard behind her and the wall above the headboard to Myra and Ian's headboard and wall in real life. So they know that that's where she was, was in their room. Now, once they know where Leslie Ann had been buried, it helps them kind of look, they start looking around, focusing around that burial site and they figure out that John's burial site is pretty close and they narrow it down to a picture. They have a picture of um, Myra like kneeling down on John's burial site, holding one of her dogs like in her coat. And she's kind of like looking down on his burial site. They match it to the picture perfectly. They dig it up. They find a body. Unfortunately, he's so decayed that they can't identify him from the body alone. However, his mother can identify him because the clothing that they find with his body had been hand altered by his mother. So she knows it's him. Amazing. 
By that December, Ian is charged with the murder of John, Leslie, and Edward. Myra is charged with the murders of Leslie and Edward. After the 14-day trial, Ian is doing everything he can to protect Myra, claiming her innocence all the way through. Myra, of course, is claiming that Ian brainwashed her and abused her and that it was outside of her control. Obviously. May 6th, Ian is found guilty of all three murders. Myra is found guilty of both her her murders, and they are both sentenced to life in prison. Now, over time, and like a long span of time, Myra and Ian eventually turn on each other. Myra confesses to all the other murders. Um, Keith's mom writes her numerous letters begging her just for the information of where her son's body is. The authorities take Myra to the Moors on more than one occasion, and she can never pinpoint the location of Keith's body. Um, Eventually, Myra dies in 2002 Uh. at 60 years old. Ian eventually becomes the longest serving prisoner in England's history. I think he like writes a book at some point. He does numerous interviews. Okay. He goes in and out of psychiatric hospitals, but he too eventually dies May 15th, 2017. Mm. And that is the case. Wow. Of the Moore's murder. That's a doozy. That's a lot, huh? It was. <laughs> God, could like you said, could you imagine trying to like cram that in for the last episode when we we're the last episode we were scrambling it. I yeah. could have done no it. there's and no I way. liked this I liked getting the vibe of who they were yeah I think it's interesting it doesn't mean that they're good people or we're making excuses for them I just think it's an interesting case it's helpful for me because like I said I don't get any of that in the movie like you really built that character background yeah like, especially Myra. Myra is very interesting, and she gets all the flack from British media. Which, typical. Right. I mean, it is what it is. You want to take a break and make a drink? Yes. Okay. Yes. <sighs> I cannot wait to not talk anymore. To not to have to read. <sighs> what a... This feels so great. We needed the extra week just to fucking fully process all that is this case don't you (laughs) dare we have a special guest tonight you guys and she's trying to ruin the question is do i get my camera open before she disappears so in case you missed it earlier i watched a three-part british tv miniseries and we did get a disclaimer up front that while based on a true story, extensively researched, some scenes have been dramatized. Meow, meow, meow. Okay. We've never heard that before. All right. So I get on screen and type between 1963 and 1965, Ian Brady and Myra Henley murder at least five young people four of which are buried in the moors outside of manchester 
Your cat moves every time I try to take a picture of her. I, I mean, she's not the best. All right. So after I get that lovely little introduction, I get the 1964 Herman Hermit's classic. I'm into something good. Okay. I'm into something good. Like if you hear it, you know. Yeah. If you know, you know. And then magically we're transported to Gorton, Manchester, 1964, when we get our title card on the screen and we see a young brunette walking down the street pushing a stroller. Her name is Maureen Smith. And she's taking her baby, Angela, to visit her sister, Myra Henley, at work. This does not please Myra's boss, Mr. Ian Brady. Oh! But we clearly get that they're, like, in a work relationship. Mm-hmm. Right? It's all, like, it's, like, that quid pro quo kind of a thing. It's uh, like, oh. I swear to God, I don't know what episode brought up quid pro quo, but you love saying it. It's the... Silence of the Lambs. I, you've said it multiple times. Yeah. Quid pro quo. Puh, puh, I love it. Puh, 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 puh. Okay. So Maureen is telling Myra how much her baby daddy, David, has changed up his act since welcoming the baby. They agree on a double date outside of work so that Ian and Myra can get to know him better. And I'm getting immediate, like, angsty vibes Mm-hmm. That episode, which I didn't reference in the notes, but um, Ian is odd. Yeah. He's just, he doesn't fit in with everybody else. Like, everybody else is giving kind of like a bubbly, like, offbeat vibe. He's just flat. Yeah. Right? So they all go in. And immediately I'm like, oh my God, please invite me. I'm like the Moors to the Moors. It's so much fun. Like it seems like such a vibe. We learn that Ian is originally from Scotland and David asks something really just basic. And Ian's all like, you need to fucking mind your own business and respect my privacy. Just a real dick. Love it. Back in town, the boys are out taking a piss in the alley Behind the apartment when they see a woman staring out the window. And we learn that that's the mom of the missing teenager. Oh. What was her name? Pauline. I was going to say Penny. But yes, Pauline. Mm-hmm. I mean, in your movie, it might have been Penny. No, I'm sure it was Pauline. That was like two years ago in the movie. For whatever reason, Ian and Myra have to move with the grandma to some place called Wordle Brook Avenue, Hartsley, Chestire. <laughs> Who knows how things work in England? Beep None of it makes any sense. <laughs> what are we, in The Hobbit? Right. Maureen and David are visiting with baby Angela. David goes, he finds Ian, and they give him a bottle of booze, but of course, David fucks everything up because he's walked in on Ian, like, developing his film. It's his black room or whatever. Yep. His photo developing room. Then we see Detective 
Mounsley. He's introducing himself to Mrs. Kilbride, informing her that he's taken over the case of her missing son, John. And she immediately lights up thinking that maybe there's good news or some development. Nope, none of those. No, of course not. He's simply taking over and it's all very upsetting to the family. Her husband comes home to find her crying and finds this strange man in the room and he's immediately pissed off. Just like, get the fuck out. Like, what what are you guys doing? Mm -hmm. What a joke, right? Not only pissing off the families by reopening these cases, this detective is also really pissing off people within his own unit, Mm -hmm. right? Like, almost somewhat accusing them of not being able to do their job. Mm -hmm. Right. So nobody likes this guy. He's reopening these cases and they don't like it. So when things aren't depressing enough, we have this father-in-law, I'm assuming, who has to tell the baby daddy that the baby stopped breathing okay right he comes home and the whole the whole scene so david's flipping out he's breaking everything in sight uh we learn that baby angela had an underdeveloped windpipe that restricted her breathing but of course maureen is blaming herself and David is blaming himself and everybody is spiraling and it's just a fucking nightmare it's awful yeah So in an attempt to relate to whatever Maureen is feeling, Myra reminds her that she also witnessed a childhood friend drowning. Yeah, that's real. And how she remembers them pulling the body from the water. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was like, everyone was hoping that the person would breathe again, but they didn't breathe again, just like your baby didn't breathe again. Yeah. It's like, fuck you. So that really happened. There really was a childhood friend. But to me, there is no excuse to kill children. So I didn't mention him. No. But yes, that and Ian even uses her friend dying to like prove that there's no God. He's like, if there was a God, don't you think he would have intervened Mm -hmm. to save your childhood friend? There you go. At least that's a way that you could like actually tie it in is because it's such a fucking bullshit yeah yeah the childhood friend dying really fucks her up but i'm like yeah but like a lot of us don't go on to kill children right (laughs) for real though okay another thing that's really fucked up they go on to have like a heartbreaking viewing of the baby's body And then in January of 1965, we've got this detective who's returning to work after a break from the holidays. He's being informed of a missing child in Manchester, 10-year-old Leslie Downing. He's trying to make a connection between Leslie and John, but police tell him it's a waste of time. And then another child goes missing, Keith Bennett. Police are targeting Keith's dad because obviously when you have no one else to blame, you're going to blame the kid's dad. A lot of the dads and like uncles, boyfriends Any, went you, down if, for a lot of these If you crimes. had anything to do with the kid, yeah, you were a suspect. I mean, fair enough. For sure. The police are trying to figure out 
where the kids are like connected and they're forming a triangle between the center of Gorton where Pauline went missing two years ago and somehow think that maybe it might be connected to these new cases. Mm-hmm. So we're back in the moors and we've got our foursome and they're hanging out and they're doing their thing. We're drinking we're listening to music we're shooting guns like i said what a time we would be there like of course we're having a blast we're in the morris we're doing our thing it's a vibe amazing these boys they fucking walk off and they plan to rob a bank also bank robbery is a big part of the original cases but i'm like we have so many dead kids to get through. I didn't even bring up the bank robbery. For real. But Ian has a real hard on for the idea of robbing a bank. So the whole thing in the the bank is very important to this movie. So the whole thing is, it's like they're very poor. Yeah. Right? Ian and what's her fuck, they move the grandma for a reason, like financially. And then the other two, they're in the same situation where it's like, I feel like they're about to be evicted. Okay. So it's like for them, the robbing of the bank was like a make or break. Yeah. I feel like that's pretty similar to real life. Like they were getting David on board with their bullshit with the idea of like robbing a bank. Yeah. No. But like Ian starts planning on robbing a bank way back in the boys home. Yeah. Like the robbing a bank is a consistent theme, but his desire to rape and kill children. For real. Always outweighs the bank robbery plans. That was the only other way that he could get the the other two even somewhat related was on the bank robbery because I believe they were being evicted. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. So now episode two. Oh, Maureen is hinting to David that he's spending too much time with Ian and he reminds her You're the one that wanted me to be friends with him. Like, this is your sister's boo. Guy. Right? Like, the the whole thing was that you were bringing me into the clique. And now that... It's interesting that they've, like, started from the end. We haven't found out what happened before all this That's what I'm saying. I got nothing. Because David doesn't come up till the end. And mm-hmm. he's not there till the very end. Mm-hmm. Eventually, they're fighting. He's aware that something's different with her. So Maureen reveals that she is once again pregnant. Yeah, that's true. She gets pregnant for a second time. The news obviously hits really hard. Mm-hmm. They haven't fully processed the last baby. They're not in a good place financially. They're not in a good place emotionally. Yeah. Like, it's worst case scenario. So, they have another huge fight over whether or not to keep the baby. Maureen goes to see Myra. Maureen is confessing to her all these things. And Myra's like, well... If you don't want to be with him, I get it because I also have issues with him. Kind of like he's also spending too much time with my man. Yeah. And I don't really want him around either. Yeah. <laughs> Makes it very much about herself. Shocking. Mm-hmm. Eventually, David and Maureen, they make up and they agree to have the baby and they find out that they're getting evicted. And so panicked, 
David is telling Ian and Maureen he wants to do this bank robbery like ASAP, like as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. I need this money for my new life with my new baby. All these things that I want. Imagine back then when there was no surveillance cameras. You could just rob a bank? Right. Mm -hmm. It feels like easy money. But Ian says a job like this is not easy money and it can't be rushed. (laughs) Yeah. He suggests instead, we're not going to rob a bank. That's silly. Let's kidnap somebody. Let's kidnap and kill a child. That's way more lucrative. We're going to kidnap someone who clearly has a lot of money. Mm. Because if we get somebody of wealth, Mm -hmm. then they're going to give up their money before we actually have to hurt them. Okay. Was the whole pitch here. Mm-hmm. Right. You don't have to hurt someone if they're like, oh, here, just take all my empty wealth. On October 6th, 1965, Myra shows up at David and Maureen's in the middle of the night. Maureen gives this bullshit excuse that she needs David to walk her home because Ian's too busy. Mm-hmm. Maureen doesn't think twice about it. It's her sister. Why would she? Right? Like, fuck it. Yeah. I would expect my partner to walk my sister home. Right? Fuck it. If you ask, this is what's happening. of course. David goes to Ian and Myra's place expecting to find an adult businessman. Right. Someone who could pay out. What does he find? A child. (laughs) But we don't know this. The next thing we see is around 3 a.m., David is running from the apartment back to his home to Maureen, where he immediately starts to vomit in the toilet. We see nothing. Maureen assumes that he's just too drunk, so she's pissed, sees blood on his shirt, and then David begins to cry, And then we get these like flashing images of what happened. So he tells Maureen that Ian went crazy and killed a man with an axe. Okay. She, of course, asks if her sister Myra's okay. And he's like, yeah, she's fine because she's in on it. Right. She's (laughs) great. David describes how they cleaned up the blood-covered apartment. They used the stroller from their dead baby to move the body from the apartment to the trunk. And then sits down. They enjoy some tea before he has to casually excuse himself, telling Myra, you know, Maureen would be really upset if she wakes up. And I'm not home. Okay. Right? We, we wouldn't want to upset. Slick. Very slick. pregnant sister. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in the morning, Maureen immediately tells David to go to the police, where we learn that 17-year-old Edward Evans was killed. And we see Ian brought into the department immediately followed by Myra. Ian does admit to killing Edward, but insists that David was his accomplice and Myra was innocent. Yep. 
fortunately, David, um, or fortunately for David, Mouncy, the detective, finds Ian's journal with the name John Kilbride written inside. And even though there's no evidence to link it, they go with it. Yeah. Right Why there. else would he write, write down this name? Right. The sisters turn on each other. Right. Like, how could you believe David? Blah, blah, blah. And then police find more written notes about the crimes, like how they moved the body. They used the car to dump it. Ian doesn't have a car, but Myra does. So, like, she's clearly in on it, even though she claims to be innocent. So Myra is brought to the station for questioning and um, they're using pictures that they took at the moors mm-hmm. as like markers. Mm-hmm. Right. Eventually they get a suitcase that has incriminating evidence inside such as like videotape and yeah, like recordings and whatnot. And we get to episode three. Oh, my God. Just as searchers are finishing up for the day and feeling hopeless, they finally found their first body. They uncover the body of Leslie Downing mm-hmm. in the moors. Right. Soon after that, they find John. And then to prove that the photos and everything were taken, they fucking... I don't know if this is legit, but I'm going to drink because it was a lot. They test Myra's fucking dog. I don't know. Keep going. For what? Okay. So at the time that the kids were killed, they take pictures, right? Mm -hmm. Her dog was in the pictures. Yeah. So they decided to do like DNA testing on the dog to figure out the age of the dog in the picture or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they're claiming that the testing that they did on the dog killed the dog and that's oh i don't know about that they did do some sort of age analysis with the dog oh okay i don't know if the testing led to the death of the dog okay at least the dog got brought up and they tested it they did compare the age of the dog in the picture to like whatever i'll take it in the movie whether or not it's true, they killed the fucking dog. So who's they? The movie people. Like they they come back to her and tell her like the testing that we did killed the dog, and right. she's livid. So she's I, beside herself. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The dog could, is her child, right? And they're like, "You killed children." It doesn't matter. It's not a dog, right? Like, we're <laughs> yeah, that's how they see it. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I read about the dog thing. I like glanced over it in Wikipedia, but the problem with Wikipedia is you never know if it's hundred percent the truth. Right. Because if you look up these people in Wikipedia mm-hmm. and you go into like Ian, is it Brady? Mm-hmm. His background. They say that as a child, he tortured and killed animals, mm-hmm. which is not true. He has been an animal lover 
from day one. And that's clearly, he like loves, you said, they, they him and Amira love animals dogs. much more than they love people. Mm-hmm. So that's when I knew that like wicked. Pe- I'm like, well, they got that wrong in the so, movie. They got it right because she was distraught. Over right. The so idea. what I'm saying is later on in the Wikipedia article, they mention the testing on the dog mm-hmm. and this, that and the other. But they've already lost my trust because so they said that Ian um, tortured animals and like Ian never tortured animals. Yeah. So I don't know what to believe. No, immediately. So in the movie, they for sure got that. So like they pinpoint like we could see that you have the dog in the picture with you yeah. at this at this site at the marker of the body. Based on the whatever, we yeah. test the dog because of the testing. The dog was old. The dog passed away and she's distraught. Yeah. She's. They love their dogs. Livid. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, you killed children. We're, yeah. we're not sad. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was fun because, you know, I'm like, oh, my God, you killed her dog. And I'm like, oh, my God, she killed children. I know. If there's like, one silver oh. lining, it's that. Ian and Myra loved dogs. They really and animals. did. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So blah blah blah. We find John and then we prove that the photos taken with the dog, blah blah blah. And then April twenty first, nineteen sixty six. Ian and Myra go on trial. They are met by an angry mob. Oh. A very pregnant Maureen is up to testify and her nose starts to bleed. Okay. To the point where the judge is. Why? Because of the pressure of like being on stand against her sister. (laughs) I don't think that actually causes nose bleeds. Well, well, the the judge is very concerned (laughs) for her well-being. Yeah, I don't think that causes nosebleeds. Uh, You're talking to a nosebleeder. Mm -hmm. David takes the stand where he is forced to deny the claims that Ian and Myra have made. Blah, blah, blah. Leslie's parents go on to hear that David and Maureen um, basically like attacked them and their involvement blah like whatever so we've got Maureen who's pleading with everybody like I'm pregnant okay right yes although I will say in real life I believe she gets a smorshmorshin oh okay because Mrs. Downing is like well I don't fucking care you took my baby why shouldn't you get yours taken to Maureen because that's the woman of the person who lost their child. So she's like at an all time high. Apparently they go, they end up showing up at the apartment where they assault. Um, <clears throat> there's like a heated argument where David gets slapped across the face and like, Maureen gets assaulted while she's pregnant with the baby. Like, why should you get to keep your baby when you and your sister, you know, killed mine kind of a thing? That's crazy. Even though she had nothing to do with it. Myra's on trial 
where she obviously lies her ass off, denying all involvement. And then May 6th, 1966, we see Ian Brady and Myra Henley are both found guilty of murder. Ian is sentenced to three concurrent terms of life in prison. Myra gets two since she only played a part as like an accessory. Mm-hmm. And then even though David was found innocent, he was still basically considered like the third in the more murders by those who are like the conspiracy theorists or whatever. So like he can never really clear his name. He did in real life. He was hated by the town of Manchester for mm-hmm. the rest of his life. Yeah. That would be awful. Especially because you're the one who like blo- you're losing you blew your babies. The you're losing your fucking life. Yeah. And you blew the whistle. Mm-hmm. You're the one who was like, hey, look at this. He could have minded his business and not said anything and just let the whole thing lie. But he didn't. And well, I feel like he shouldn't come under fire for that. So then I'm guessing is this all bullshit. So they eventually in the movie, they go on to have a baby boy. I have no idea. Okay. So Maybe. they have a. They have a baby boy, and when they're leaving the hospital, the woman tells them that she hopes their baby dies. Golly! And spits on them. And then when they arrive home, they have the words, Henley bitch, spray painted on their front door. No, I have no idea. Probably. (laughs) I do know there was a lot of hate for them in, (laughs) in England, and I know that a lot of stuff happens beyond where I stopped. There's a lot of drama, a lot of like, I feel like they might be white trash. It's a lot of like white trash antics. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this family member hates that family member and they get, they get into a fight. Maybe someone gets a knife pulled on them and now so-and-so is doing time. I honestly didn't read it, but it's a lot of like kind of Jerry Springer bullshit. So as we see there, new baby start to cry okay david is asking maureen like well are you gonna help with the baby and she's like well what am i supposed to do she's like we raise murderers she's like <laughs> I, I- <laughs> obviously we don't have a good track record my guy she's like i can't fucking raise a baby so then we skip to five years later We see Maureen living in a new apartment. She's all alone. She has a job cleaning where she bumps into her aunt who says the family misses her. And she doesn't believe them considering they all abandoned her during the trial. Wanting to take the other sister's side. And we learn that everywhere that she and David went, all they ever heard was harassment and threats and blah, blah, blah. So that eventually got Dave into a fight. He was sent to prison. She was left as a single mom and she couldn't cope. Mm -hmm. She gave the kids up. Okay. That probably is all true. I have no idea. Like Mm -hmm. I said, I skimmed it. Yeah. So she's a single mom and he gets out of prison. He collects the kids and he wants her to be a part of their life but she's still really struggling with the whole thing so she goes to visit them the boys don't recognize her 
after visiting. She also goes to visit Myra, who's in prison. She, of course, has rediscovered her Catholic faith. Because what else do you do when you go to prison? Yeah. But become religious. Find the Lord. Mm-hmm. Tells her sister how sorry she is for burning her life and blah, blah, blah. So, Maureen goes to see David and the boys. And the David is finally, like, inviting her back. Like, be a part of our life again. Mm -hmm. But she also tells him that she went to see her sister. And he's like, fuck. Like, I don't want anything to do with her. Like, you got to pick one. So, we feel like she's made her choice and that she chose her children and David and they are going to live happily ever after. But in the morning, we can see that things have changed and basically, like, she wakes up to make breakfast for the kids, but then... She tells David she needs to run out for eyeliner and then just never shows up ever again. Just leaves him. And we find out that she she ends up dying in 1980 of a brain hemorrhage when she was 34. Dang. mm -hmm, He goes on to raise their three sons. Their names were really fucked up. I feel like they were related related to the murders somehow. Yeah, okay. Um, but then he gets remarried and they have a daughter. And then Myra dies in 2002 after serving 36 years of her sentence. And Ian eventually admits to the murders of Pauline Reed. Yep. And Keith Bennett. Pauline's body is eventually discovered, but Keith's was never found. And the movie ends with a tribute to all the victims and leaves me with a fucking sick feeling in my stomach. (laughs) Dead children will do that to you. Right. So here we go. That's like a month later. Literally. And it's still gross. Yeah. They're the worst. Because even though it's like a cool, like... You want to love them. Like, ah, they're the worst. They're though. really, I know. Like, I you, they kill children. Uh, they're the worst. They're worse. No, yeah. That's it. It's like, I get her stalking him down and the attention and mm-hmm. this and that, whatever. But the second you play with kids, mm-hmm. you're just, you're out. Fuck you. The worst. Yeah, of and course. then for her sister to be so blindsided and the, Bring this for this poor David guy in who's just I don't know what happened to him. I also think it's interesting their image versus like normally the people, especially the couples, the men and women that we've talked about that mm-hmm. have kidnapped and taken people, not even children, but right. people held them captive or tortured, raped, killed. They usually look weird. They usually look kind of gross. Her or off sister or was blindsided. The closest we've gotten to Myra and Ian is like maybe somebody who just flies under the radar because they look normal, like a Dennis Rader, like a John Wayne Gacy. We're like, oh, they're like 
dads, the functioning members of society. But you never hear about people like this who are well-dressed and successful and smart. And in the movie, like, they're literally, like, their grandma lives in the apartment with them. Yeah, that's true in real life, too. I cut grandma out, but grandma's there. But that's, so that's just an extra loop that they have Mm -hmm. to get through that no one noticed. Yeah. Yeah, right, this... Pauline, that was a family friend, basically, mm-hmm. just it's goes over wild. Yeah. And what makes people decide to do this? I don't know, man. It's weird and it's gross. And because fuck them. Myra and Maureen are so very different. Yeah. But because of their connection as siblings, it's like the length that more I mean there's not much of that in the I feel like that's the dramatized part of the movie okay. I feel like David and Maureen's interaction with them is the dramatized part of the okay. movie because everything else you said is pretty much on no it's like the same the point as that the cases. Maureen would go for Myra to just be like that's my sister no no, no. <laughs> I feel like in real life Maureen and David didn't get brought until the very end because Ian and Myra wanted like an apprentice. Oh, good. Basically, they wanted like a little minion. And they thought for whatever reason that David could be that. They tried to bring him in. And the first murder, which was Edward Evans. Yeah. Clearly, David ran straight to the police. Clearly. So they weren't in it for very long. So I think that's where your mini series dramatized what was going on. Okay. Which kind of sucks for David and Maureen. Yeah. David's like, dude, I did everything I was supposed to do. No, like you said, regardless, I think even outside of the miniseries, like he's the third of the more murderers, whether or not. And he didn't murder anybody. It doesn't matter. I know, but that sucks because he was the one who went to the police. If he wouldn't have gone to the police, they probably still would have been an open case. I know. They had nothing to go on. No. All those searches. They had zero evidence mm-hmm. until David and Maureen showed up. Yeah. And yet he was still made out to be one of them. Crazy. Mm-hmm. All right. What do you give the movie? How many knives? So the mini series. Oh, sorry. The mini series. I'm going to give it a three. Okay. I'm going to give it a one for each episode. Okay. <laughs> because okay. like I got none of the beginning. I think the beginnings are really big yeah i thought so too yeah because after the beginning it all becomes like wash rinse repeat yeah but it is very interesting like why their relationship why they picked such a time frame to just cram to three about three episodes like focus the first episode on the beginning and the middle and like it seems and so the end. that would make the most sense and in all fairness Case File, the podcast, did that. Good. They have three parts. The beginning, the relationship right. building, the middle, which is the child killing. Yeah. And the end, which is the investigation, trial. Yep. So Case File, the podcast, does it brilliantly. Good on you, Case Files, as it should be. So that's my beef with it. Um, And then it was very British. Like I, I, I had I said, it. like... I fucking knew it. I knew it. It was 
there were a lot of things where I was like trying to re-listen to what they were saying. I'm like, eh, eh. I had to listen to him. And in all fairness, it wasn't because Case Files, I believe it's British as well. I might be talking out of my ass. I'm pretty sure it's British. And when he said the type of perfume that you Myra, have to listen to it like three I'm all, times. What? What? Yeah. What? <laughs> and I finally, I was like, oh, let's watch it on YouTube with closed captions on. And that's how I like, narrowed down to what he was Thank saying. Because I had no clue what no. he was talking about. But you know what's funny? Is I've been listening, my newest podcast obsession. You know how I go into my yeah. hyperfixations of podcasts? Is a podcast called Shits and Gigs. Which I found on TikTok and now I listen to their actual podcast or I watch it on YouTube. And I was going to say it in the beginning of the episode and our recommendations. And I literally, if you look at my notes, I started writing it and I crossed it out because it's British. It's too Brit. It's I'm like, too British. B's going to hate it. It's two English dudes. She doesn't want to listen to it. But it's very funny. You should listen to it. You would love it. I bet. It's so funny. I get it like i love to listen to it it's It's just two british besties talking yeah no i love to listen to it yeah um it's our new thing right now so during dinner we're gonna let violet pick a show to watch Uh but it's gotta be something that nick and i also want to watch Uh uh-huh so we're between like flora's lava yeah or making fun Yep, we've watched that one. Or the Junior British Bake Off. Yep. Right. So, but again, all the British kids have their accents. Yeah, like, what is this kid talking about? And the way that they do, they go about things. And Violet's like, what the fuck? What about um, Junior MasterChef? Is it on Netflix? I don't know. That's typically just the easiest that's but one. it's on something. Yeah. If it's not on Netflix, it's on Hulu. Yeah. It's on mm-hmm. a bit. It's Fox. Perfect. So wherever Fox is, mm-hmm. it is. But MasterChef Junior is great. Yeah. Because they cook so much better than most adults. And it'll be wild because Gordon Ramsay, like they'll make something. This nine-year-old kid will make something. And Gordon's like, there's only three like French chefs in the world who know how to make this dish but i think that's and you so an nine-year-old child i think that's what's so nice about the one on like the british side is that they give the kids the recipes Mm. and the ingredients but it's up to them to figure out how to use them yeah it doesn't always work out well yeah and so we're learning from their mistakes. Like yeah, I, mean, I don't just I don't make off in general. Yeah, I don't need a kid to make me feel bad about Yeah. <laughs> about my my own cooking skills. That's the thing is yeah, MasterChef Junior like how is this 8-year-old no, 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 no. this good at this? There's cooking. No, we're looking for the failures and like the resiliency. I mean, that's the, British Bake Off in general. Have you ever watched the regular Bake Off? But that's that's why we watched it. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, it's so and the comedy and everything but it's just watching the kids really come down to like oh 
I shouldn't have done this. Like one kid didn't double proof his bread and just little what things. What an idiot. And little things like that. But yeah. Hey, if you ever want this live and in person, come to my house on any given day because my two older kids are just baking nonstop. Are baking and just going for it. Yeah. Like they're learning very quickly. Yeah. That you have to follow the recipe to a T. It's and science. You can't, you can't fuck one no. thing up. You can't mix up a tablespoon with a teaspoon. You can't mix up the salt and the sugar no, and the flour baking, and the sugar. With cooking. Sure. Yeah, sure. With you can baking. It. Yeah. That's why I always liked baking more than cooking because I'm not. I wasn't raised by a cook. My mom was very much chicken fingers and fries every night for dinner. So baking I can do because all you have to do is follow the recipe. And if you follow the steps, you can make the thing versus cooking. You're like, I you just have to make it throw the thing into the thing. It's fine. Mm -hmm. I'm a good cook now. I'm an okay cook. I'm not a master chef cook. I mean, we use seasoning. I do use seasoning, but I can bake. (laughs) What's your look of the week, B? I do have. I can't decide between like a polka dotted shirt or like a plaid shirt. Because I've got like a patterned shirt with a cardigan. And then we're going to do like a little side bang and your daughter's um, axe. Yeah. I don't know where it came from. There for a couple grades. My kid was their school. They go to like a weird hippie school. So like in elementary school, they were studying like Vikings and like Norse mythology and stuff. And I think it's from that era. Sure. They made axes. They made like shields. Yeah. And they would have like Norse reenactments of whatever. Yeah. So we have the axe. What's you're choosing a shirt. And I'm going to do a weird side bang. Uh-huh. So yeah. Weird pattern shirt. Weird side bang. Why a weird pattern shirt? Is that what they're wearing? Yeah. Because it's 60s and, and it's like it's graphic. It's squares and circles and yeah. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Fine. And then yeah. You'll see my inspiration. You'll see my look. My Luke. My Luke. And God damn, this cat didn't fucking ruin everything. The so. cat didn't. The cat is fine. Okay. We're fine. Everything is fine. Everything is fine. Everything is fine. Is that what we should, should name the episode? Everything is fine. Um, we'll see you next time. And also to see pictures, go to THC Podcast on Instagram. Hit me up. Slide into my DMs. Let us know if you blacked out on the tickety talkities. And also, if you want to give us a five-star review, we sure would appreciate it. Leave us any comments, star ratings. We love you. We will see you next time. Good night. Bye.